Brzezinski was the strategist for Jimmy Carter and convinced Jimmy Carter to say, look, uh, the Russians are dominating uh, Afghanistan with a civilian secular government. Let's create al-Qaeda. Let's uh, back Osama bin Laden and give his supporters weapons to begin fighting the Russians, and uh, we can pull a coup d'etat there, and uh, the Russians will fight back, and then we'll say the Russians invaded. And it worked. Saudi Arabia made a deal with America that they would push the Wahhabi uh, extremists, uh, the al-Qaeda, the most right-wing wing of Islamic parties, and it worked. Uh, essentially, al-Qaeda is a contract army uh, for the United States. Well, the same thing was happening in, in Russia. What Brzezinski wrote was that America's faced with a possibility of not being able to rule the world unilaterally. Any country's economic ability to be self-sufficient means uh, a potential military power. And in order to prevent any country from threatening America militarily, you have to prevent it from developing economically. Uh, the American nightmare, Brzezinski wrote, was that Russia would get together with Germany and with Western Europe, creating Russian raw materials, German industry, and somehow, finally, Russia would become westernized. Uh, America, uh, under Brzezinski's uh, strategy, said this would be a disaster because if Russia's westernized, if it becomes democratic, if... if uh, uh, Europe and Russia are prosperous, then we cannot control them anymore, and they will have no reason to be NATO. We've got to stop Russia, and the place to stop this Russian-European uh, conglomeration is to split it right at the border uh, down Ukraine. Let's do in Ukraine what uh, we did in Afghanistan. Let's uh, back the crazies. Well, most of them are uh, the, the former uh, neo-Nazi groups that have been uh, uh, so prominent that fly the Nazi flag. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Monday, May 29th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Two main focuses of today. A follow-up in regard to some nanotechnology stuff that I really wanted to go over that overlaps with the interesting conversation in regard to Alan Lamb, the RNAi discussion in regard to basically they're claiming that they have rights to some of the blood money coming from all the dangerous injections circulating around. Their jokes aside, literally saying that they have claim to patents that were used in regard to specifically the lipid nanoparticle delivery system. They're stepping up and oddly saying there's nothing in there about mRNA, which is kind of odd because it's not even the point they're making. I think they're trying to play on the ignorance of the average person. But ultimately, I wanted to dive into further on that and, and show what, as Whitney coined a while ago, that Robert Langer being the common denominator in all of this and the technology and the research that he'd been conducting in regard to that exact topic. And interestingly overlapping that with what we talked about in the last show, that considering this in the side of the bioweapon conversation, as David Martin was discussing, the idea that this not the idea, the, the reality that they were working on something that they're telling us was a spike protein and that this was something that had been developed in the North Carolina University Chapel Hill. And it seems these two things were put together in regard to what they use for the injection. Now, you can see that as some kind of innovation. I mean, ultimately it is, but you could see it as innovation regarding to, you know, health 
therapeutics, or you could see it as innovation regarding medical countermeasures or bioweapons or things that we've seen historically quite a lot. We're going to talk about something in regard to the overlap there to start today in regard to the RNAi interference conversation, or that's what the I stands for, and what this overlap is and how it ties all the way back to Robert Langer's work, which then very clearly suggests that Alan Alam is correct. And I'm not sure where you can place that in your minds and what you think that all means in regard to where, where that company fits into the larger illusions taking place. But it's still important to see how this plays out. But overlapping that then with some more research that we're seeing, both one from 2020, but also a lot that's now still continuing. That is just very concerning for me. I'm beginning more and more every day to see that that is where this was all meant to go. Not that this primary thing we went through was even the focus, but rather just a step in in the direction of the larger agenda. And really just as well as I think a genuine experiment as even the Atlantic just basically said and then very quickly censored that this has all been one big experiment. And that's what their headline said in the last article they just put out. Now they just changed it and act like we don't have the way back machine. But we're also going to talk about the vanilla ISIS psyop, and that's the other central part of today, which is that we briefly pointed at it while we were doing more of a COVID-focused show, a couple of foreign policy points. One was around that Russian neo-Nazi group that's fighting for Ukraine. It just is very strange the way they're even covering that. But I did some digging, as we tend to do on this show, because that's what we want, the facts, and come to find out that it's not too hard. Things we've already talked about. Uh, Dennis, uh, I'll wait to get to, I, I actually forget, I think it's Nikitin is his last name, but ultimately I think White Rose, again, I'm pulling this off the top of my head. He has nicknames, three different names. He has the name that he, this is his real name. He's got the name he uses as a pseudonym in these neo-Nazi groups. Then he's got this, the tag name. I think it's White Rose or White something. We'll get to it in a minute. The point is that person, without question, ties directly back to, I bet you all know who I'm going to say, the multiple groups that we've gone over that are undeniably on record, directly tied back to the CIA. Groups like the Vanguard America, which is actually now Patriot Front, or groups like the Rise Above Movement, which is quite literally on by multiple FBI documents as well as open discussions from experts and other corporate media before the invasion, is the international arm of the Azov Movement, which Rise Above Movement is the group that marched through Charlottesville, along with Vanguard America which is now Patriot Front, all of which very clearly ties back to the CIA funding operation project aerodynamic in Ukraine. All very easy to prove. It's, it's, it's very sad today how many people are so quick to just reflexively push back on things that we're not supposed to say. I had a whole engagement with some ridiculous person today, a climate journalist on, online, which I'm not even going to get into. It's not worth your time. But just to see how interesting this is. And I know we talk about things on this platform that are hard for some, especially those that are tapped into the corporate discussion who don't even realize that they may be misled in some ways, even after what happened with COVID-19, the illusion they're in. But I know we talk about things that can be, you know, off the beaten path. But anybody that would willfully just dismiss something without even engaging with the information, that's quite literally the definition of ignorance. That's willful ignorance. And it's just very sad to continue to see this building. Like, there's so many people that are in this, this, those circles, some of which that I would argue aren't, some of which I would argue are not you know, malicious or, or part of the agenda, whatever that may mean to you, but that still nonetheless have dug their heels in, in such an aggressive way, because I, whether it's they don't want to be wrong or that they're afraid to confront what that would mean, I don't even know. But it's really, really, it, as I said in the, in the chat earlier, it's, it's fascinating but in a very scary way to watch how these people have kind of conflated what they're supposed to think 
with what the facts are. And I'm wondering whether they're even aware that those two things aren't the same thing. It's very interesting. But all, all that aside, what we're going to get into today is the overlap of how obvious, in going back to the vanilla ISIS PSYOP and how all of this is being used, is so clear. The way that these things tie together, the groups that have funded them, the CIA operation that I'll show you directly from their link, from their CIA.gov website that talks about funding these groups in Ukraine to build a fascist entity to fight against the Soviet Union. By the way, which is exactly what happened with Afghanistan, the Mujahideen, which later became Al-Qaeda, which later became ISIS, and is still the game playing today. It's not hard to understand this stuff. That was the clip from The Nation you saw to begin. It's really just, again, it comes down to what we know that has happened, what we can prove, and what the government narrative is with all of the lackeys and the sycophants that spit that out and act like you're dumb for not knowing. And then those circles get bolstered by others that are involved, and, and all of a sudden, you get the, you're the crazy one in the corner. Except what the reality we're hopefully beginning to see is that there's far more of those people in those corners, when they're not really in a corner, than the false illusion, the, the illusion that is the mainstream conversation. Now, I don't know whether at one point it was the opposite. That's what we're all supposed to think. And maybe it's still that way today. Maybe I'm wrong. But I swear to you, it is as clear as day to me that there are so far, so many more of you out there that are at the very least willing to go, well, yeah, that's I'm told that's conspiracy theory, but let's look into it and see what we think about it. They're so afraid of that. Whatever, in any context, they, the hierarchy enslaving you, the power structure is terrified of you thinking for yourself. As I just jokingly said the other day, as I played that clip from, you know, a threat to our democracy, where you have all the corporate media at the, in synchronicity saying the same thing, where they say, spreading things without checking facts first. And I laughed because I realized, wait a minute, that was just recently before all this madness began. And they were going, you're a bad person for not checking your facts, which another way to say that would be doing your own research. And then today they come out and say, you shouldn't be doing your own research because you're too stupid or whatever they frame it as. Don't do your own research. So it's amazing how one psyop ago, they were going, you should be doing your own research. And now the next one, you shouldn't be doing. It just shows you how they say whatever needs to be said. And they're not even aware of their own double standards to some degree. But let's start today with uh, what I guess where I think I finished the ultimate. The point is all of that is revealing very clearly that there is an overarching agenda, not just foreign policy. It's, it's all of this. We're going to touch on the biolab discussion of Ukraine again, which is very kind of surface level, but there's important points to be made. But how that ties back with all of this and whether there is more experimentation going on in other countries that we're not even aware of, not even possibly not even the behest of our governments or what that even means today with the conversation of the global governance building in front of us. But very clearly, there's a lot happening that we need to piece together. So let's start with some uh, nanotechnology is where we're going to start to truly begin. But I have a couple of points I wanted to make about the Twitter conversation. Now, somebody recently said, you know, why do you care about Twitter so much? And it's weird that that would even be put to me. So I, 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 it's, it's an interesting take. The last thing I care about is Twitter. Let's put it this way. I don't think Twitter should be the town square or the, the, that I, it's, not, it's not that I'm saying Twitter is important. It's the reality that Twitter, because of the agendas and because of how it's been positioned, is by default a central part of what's going on. That's very different, right? But So really, to me, it's, it's important to show people, first of all, people that are trapped in the partisanship, that this is not what they think it is. But on the, secondarily, that this is the controlled flow of information. So anybody using Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, so the point is any social media. Because it's all influenced and controlled. 
doesn't mean it's all completely fake. It just means that it could, who knows, with bots today, but could, it is influenced. So the point is, when you use this, just keep that in your mind. Realize, as I'm about to show you, as I keep showing you little small bits that keep catching throughout the, you know, the last so many weeks, that there is an effort to control the flow of information. Now, again, I, I'll always tell you, this could just be a glitch. It could just be one glitch after the another, you know, glitching in the exact same way, in the exact same direction with the same information. It certainly could be. I don't believe that. This just actually popped up today, this, this topic I'm going to show you very quickly, because I was, we were, Derek and I were talking about the World Council for Health, a great platform, which you should be following. They're doing great work. There's an, I think they either just have, they're about to have another, another rally. And I know everyone out there is getting very tired of there's so many rallies all over the place. I get it. We're all getting very tired and kind of rallied out. Nonetheless, they are still important, you know, so you should support, at the very least, support the group that are trying to bring truth to the table. But I know that I've been in communication with them. I was talking with them not too long ago about, about this recent event. But yet, when I go in here and I search for World Council for Health or any form, any variation therein, nothing pops up. This is, these are my chats you can see here. But what's weird is that they're here in my chats. But when I search for them under messages, they're not there. Isn't that strange? The next point. Now, I, I just didn't want to linger because I don't want anybody, you know, just I, I, it's not like you can see much on my personal messages. But the point is that I don't want people to, you know, feel like I'm showing what they're saying to me and so on. But anyway, the, the overarching point was that that just didn't show up. No, I, I, no matter how many times I look, when I type them out and look, it says not there. And on top of that, all the messages that I guess I had missed weren't showing up as a, as a blue dot, as a new message. Now, I don't know if that's a glitch or not, or if they just don't want me communicating with World Council for Health, or if they don't want them communicating with me. I don't know. But I can prove to you that this stuff is happening on Twitter right now in very specific ways. And it's all really suppression and obfuscation as opposed to censorship, which, if, I have to be, if I'm honest, is far more problematic because censorship is pretty clear. It can be anyway. But here's another example. Here's a, a post from uh, Peter McCullough. Interestingly enough, here's, here they are right here. World Council for Health. Make sure you're following them. I've shared and, and retweeted and liked this post more than once. You can see it right here, by the way. It's why I took the picture that I have liked and shared this. And yet, no matter what I do, if I refresh this page, if I highlight, if I if keep going, it, it shows it as not liked and shared. But I should have had that up, actually. If I look at it through my profile, that's going to take forever. Shoot, I should have it up. It, it's, it's liked and shared is the point. Terrible, terrible way I did this today. <laughs> I'm just trying to do this quick and show it to you. Here you go. Look right there. Bingo. Hey, look at that. It's liked and shared. How does that make sense? Now, this could just be a glitch. Like, of all of them, this could be. But explain for me how that makes sense. This is the live post. I'm refreshing it. Not there. New tab. Not there. So that's just strange to me. I don't see these things happening to people, and maybe that's just my circles, to people unlike McCullough or people not involved in the kind of stuff we're doing. This is suppression, guys. This is a way to, I don't know, keep it off of my I don't even know. I'm not even going to try to pretend I know this is what I think it is. But I do know very clearly this is happening a lot. The kind of weird obfuscation that's keeping things from being seen. That may, or the whole conversation of the, 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 the messages makes me wonder who else I'm missing, who else has reached out that I'm not seeing. Think about how much that can be controlled. Here's another example. Here's Gar Gabriel Shipton. 
the day after he announced a new billboard campaign to free Assange. An account has been suspended by Twitter. Last month, his account was suspended for 24 hours and came back after a bunch of community tweets. Explain that. They make a a campaign for Assange and the account gets suspended. Now, the point is, this is still happening a lot. It's not like in the beginning where they're like, oops, let me look into it and we'll figure it out. And it comes back a day later. This is long past the illusion that we're still dealing with former employees and FBI. He's already literally hired a a CEO that is a WEF global censorship mad vaccine supporting person i mean it's that's statements by her herself so i just want us to be very clear about this that we need to realize i'm hoping people can see that this is a problem that what's going on on twitter and all the rest of it is still very aggressively and arguably in ways that are far more nefarious controlling the flow of information think about how important that is i mean one quick note on how that of course because it's partisan the idea of what twitter is and what elon musk is doing and note on the you know, ideas of elections or the two-party illusion. Just really think about the fact from a controlling structure standpoint that they don't care about who we really support as long as what we support is authoritarian. Right? As long as what we support is top-down control government where they can decide to put you in lockdown with no question. Right? As long as we support something like that. So the left, the right, it's all supporting the authoritarian version of government. Israel, all the rest of the you know, all UK, France, Germany, they're all showing what they are today, right? That's not to say that other governments aren't the same, but there's different flavors of, my opinion as always, is all governments of any kind will eventually consolidate power and control your life or try to. We just pretend only one side is bad from one side of the paradigm. It's really stupid. That's the split as always. But my point is, as long as we support authoritarianism, they don't care. They'll let us do it. They'll let us yell at each other all day long right which is what we do we attack each other and the problem is they through authoritarian control they take control of our lives and then of course when anything goes wrong oh the bill the past we didn't like or this happens or something i'm not happy with in my day-to-day life but the government well what do we do we blame our neighbor it's your fault you right-wing conspiracy it's your fault you left-wing nutjob it's your oh but is it their fault or is it the authoritarian government that's a mac making us attack ourselves and not really concerned with what we do as long as we both push for authoritarian control. Over the other side, though, they're the ones. What a racket, man. <laughs> the, the, the government is literally watching and laughing as we sit here and point at each other like the scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz. And yet they always have the same control. I mean, it's just as plain as day. I really think people see that today. I do. I, I, I have a lot of hope that people are seeing past the two-party illusion. But the problem is that every moment, they're finding ways to push us back into it. Russiagate, QAnon were examples of that. Same time, same, different angle, both pushing you to have more faith in the government from different sides. And yet, it's, it's just, I could go off on a thousand examples today. The point is, be smarter than that. Let's not fall for this same stuff again. Now, let's talk about nanotechnology specifically and where this is all going. We just did a show called COVID-19, was premeditated domestic terrorism, in quotes. And mainstream media finally admits it's all one big experiment, which, again, kind of pointing back to that same dumb conversation I was talking about on Twitter earlier today, or today, or the start of the show. This was an example put up as me being a conspiracy theorist. It's just so funny to me that, you know, the, that's a quote from somebody who literally said that. Okay, so that's clear. You could assume that I have feelings about that, but unless you watch the show, which he didn't, then you wouldn't know, right? But... It's fake news because it says something I'm supposed to disagree with. That's the way people look at it. And then 
They finally admit it's one big experiment. Oh, conspiracy theory. Except the fact that that's quite literally what their article said, right? Like literally said, oh, one big experiment. And then they changed that. So it's just kind of funny that people can are, so, are, are trained like SEALs to respond a certain way when things say what they're not supposed to think. And it's just so childish. Now, you can disagree all day long with what I think in the show, but both of those two things are not something anybody anywhere can dispute. In quotes, yes, somebody somewhere said that. That's true. And yes, mainstream media did say that. There you go. It's just so sad, isn't it? Now, the point is we did go over very clearly the idea of this part about you know David Martin discussing the patent trail and where this all goes. Now, one thing I think is really important, and again, that's the point I made earlier about the way that connects with the idea of the lipid nanoparticle delivery system, and arguably what the point is, is those two, all of it together is it's a weapon. And it's dual use. Of course, it could be applied in a certain way that you can argue is therapeutic, but so too can the idea of the insect allies conversation from before, or any number of these things we've talked about, where, remember, insect allies was the conversation where, let me see if I can actually pull that up. I, I mentioned that a few times in the past. that does anything i was looking for my article from the last american vagabond see in an honest world even on brave that would pop up with exactly what you would think let me try one more thing and then i'll just take the the articles right there even even brave you know i'm hoping this works i get the last american vagabond here we go bingo Okay. The point of this was that this was a conversation. Yeah, this is the right. I think I did two of them actually. Oh, this one. Oh, this was a repost from free, the free the free thought project. Either way, the point was scientists literally around the world signed a document that says what DARPA's doing in 2018 and before with what they called insect allies, which I might as well just grab that since we were talking about that. Oh, that's weird. There it is. Sorry, we get confused with what I was doing. There we go. So this this one that scientists spoke up and said, "Look, guys, what you're doing is dual use." So as much as you want us to think this is about helping people and using insects to help, you know, fight off bad things so crops can grow better, the point was obvious to these scientists. They spoke up and said, "Look, DARPA's making insects that can quite literally deliver bioweapons." Now think about the overlap with the idea of this is utilizing nature as it is. Take it a step further with no more technological advancements. Well, now they're just taking nano. They're like this. Think about the idea of the lipid nano carrier delivery system. That's what this is. Now, in this case, with the injection today, they're using lipid nanoparticles and with with pegylation with polyethylene glycol to. Well, and specifically, remember, we're talking about the N one methyl pseudouridine modified RNA instructions that are being delivered that are supposed to be able to produce the spike protein or give the instructions for that. The point is that all we're talking about in this context is the lipid nanoparticle polyethylene glycol delivery system. So we're told that it has mRNA instructions. And of course, we're not supposed to say that that they maybe they lied to us because that's conspiracy theory, despite how often we're lied to by the government or that they're just wrong, you know, because think of how dumb it is to pretend that we know they're right. because Otherwise, you'd be crazy. <laughs> God, it's just so childish. Anyway, the point is that it could be something else. Now, if you, don't, if you don't want to play the hypothetical game, which is fair, realize that going forward, 
That's how this can be used. Somebody could deliver these injections to a foreign country saying that they're coming from Pfizer and maybe it's an internet intelligence operation delivering some kind of weapon to ethnically focus. I mean, these are all real things we've talked about. But again, going back to 2018, these scientists said, look, these things can deliver weapons or as we've talked about, they could be used to go the other direction, rapidly destroy crops in directed ways that would hurt populations that you would never be able to prove was a weapon. So this is why people were so upset about it. Now, they claim they stopped because that's not, you know, they, they spoke up, right? And then, you know, since I'm mentioning it, actually, you guys have seen this quite a lot. But don't, I, this, is the, this is where this other part of this video comes into play. We've talked about the self-spreading vaccine part of it. They mentioned the bug part of it. That's what this is referring to. Since the outbreak of COVID-19, the word virus has been dominating media headlines as well as our daily lives. Did you know that one approach that has been proposed to control virally transmitted diseases is by releasing a virally transmitted vaccine? Unlike traditional vaccines, infectious vaccines do not require any individual consent. Infectious solutions are also being developed for food and agriculture. So just remember, this is 2020, and this was in EU just when this was starting, and this was a huge conversation. I forget forget the numbers, a huge turnout about you know whether this should go forward clearly whether or not they said we shouldn't it is and it's happening and it already was but so the point was they're pointing back two years ago in 2020 and saying these are already underway but didn't we just discuss how they signed letters and they they claim they pulled back on it well my point is exactly that that it never did whether they're still working on it or they're still or it has been released we have the, the conversation of genetically modified mosquitoes all over the place bill gates involved with that all over the place Oxitec and all the things we've talked about. So it's just kind of hard not to see this already in play. And are currently making their way through the regulatory approval process. However, do we really want to intentionally disperse these modified viruses outside the lab? Mm-mm. Is this a forward march of science nope. or a mistake? A mistake. But let's keep going. So the point was where this was going back to, you know, bringing this into the conversation of Robert Langer and Alan Lamb. And the company that he founded, as well as Moderna, and how they're suing each other. <laughs> or rather, Alan Lamb suing Moderna, but then Moderna and Pfizer are suing each other. It's just weird. Of course, the whole point is nobody wants to stop these dangerous things. They just want to get their cut of the money, which kind of creeps me out a little bit. But if you want to dive into more to this, I recommend it. This, and We'll just do this, actually, so you guys can check out the original from uh, Matt Agrist. From, you know, great platform you should check out. So... My point in showing you that, which again will be will come into relevance in a moment again when I get back into the spike protein and the current iteration of where I see this technology going, which is why I put new in, in quotes in the headline today. My personal suggestion that it's not really new, but it's my opinion, is that ultimately we now have Al Nalam suing Pfizer and Moderna under the allegation that they're using the lipid nanoparticle particle delivery system that they had a part in creating with Robert Langer. And the patents and so on, right? And okay, and just to make sure, so you see it, all this is in the past show we did, which is this one. But here's the actual, this Robert Langer's own crunch base where you can see very clearly he founder of Alnalam Pharmaceuticals as well as Moderna, academic co founder. Now, going back to 2014, remember the, this is the year that, of course, they pretended to outsource gain of function and really just moved it over to 
China, but actually kept it going for two more years in North Carolina University, Chapel Hill, because, oh, well, we paid him already, right? It was just ridiculous. Not that that's immediately relevant to this point, but just timing is always interesting. You never know where things may connect. But this is about the RNAi. That's what that's what RNA interference stands for, and how it's interesting. The whole crux of the point. If you want more of a deep overlap or deep overview, go watch the show. But the main point is they're suing, like I just said, for the lipid nanoparticle delivery system. And they're going Moderna specifically is going well. But wait a minute, they're not even involved with RNA, mRNA. And I made it clear, hopefully, that those two things are different. You don't, you don't, you could have a lipid nanoparticle delivery system involved with whether mRNA is involved or not. We we even talked about this regarding cystic fibrosis, where it's the same technology, where they're delivering a specific gene that can turn off or silence genes, or specifically technology that can turn off or silence genes. And but nonetheless, it's still a lipid nanoparticle or a poly, or a poly nanoparticle, a PNG versus LNG that are, or excuse me, PNP or wait, LNP or PNP. And just delivering something. So my point in showing you this now is that on uh, Moderna's side, they're claiming that it doesn't connect. But on Al-Anon's side, they're saying it's the same thing. And my point in showing you this is that there is even a connection specifically with RNAi and what they're working on. So it's very interesting. My, my, what I want to find out is why they're so hell-bent on not admitting that there's an overlap here. That could just be profit, but something tells me it's more than that. I think there's an effort right now to make, for, exa- for example, the re- for why most of the connections with Alan Alanalam, excuse me, Alanalam and, and Robert Langer are seemingly scrubbed from the internet. There's two different websites I've seen that are now de- just deleted, and even one of them redirects through the Wayback Machine. Now, it still clearly says it right here in Crunchbase, but if you look up Alanalam Pharmaceuticals, even on Wikipedia, his name's not even included. That does not make sense to me. Doesn't mean that proves that there's some kind of a cover up, but it's still strange, isn't it? I think there's more about what this ties to, about where this all comes from, and what the real agenda is behind why they've all been working on. And again, overlapping with David Martin's point that this has been happening since 1965, and they act like we just did this discovery, or that we just discovered this new way to make it work, or we just patented this new spike protein. Well, they're lying. We can prove they're lying. And then at two different points, he makes it clear that they broke the law, even in their own endeavors to research this and deploy it multiple times, patenting things that can, were made in China and so on. So there's, just, there's illegal nature all over the place, even if you don't think it's amounting to a bioweapon. But 2014, MIT News, which is where Robert Langer were, uh, comes from, or mostly associated with, better RNA interference inspired by nature. It says, inspired by tiny particles that carry cholesterol through the body, just, you know, inspired by a natural process, MIT chemical engineers have designed nanoparticles that can deliver snippets of genetic material that turn off disease-causing genes. Okay, this is quite literally the discussion we had about the cystic fibrosis. You know, a new technology, it's the same concept, same thing, all ties back to Lieber-Langer overlap research. Now, clearly, in 2014, or right now, you could deliver, you could have this deliver, have a nanoparticle that delivers genetic material that can turn off a disease causing gene, or, you know, one that you need, one that could hurt you, one that could stop you from doing something importantly needed in the middle of wartime, or, you know, something that is just an, a byproduct of not flushing this out properly. My point is simply that this is obviously, do, everything we're going to get into is very clearly dual purpose, dual use. 
And we can show how the military already has that mind about it. Like talking about how these things could be deployed to fight specific areas of warfare. That's exactly what this is about. So yet when they come out, we, point, we say that in the middle of the conversation today, you're a conspiracy theorist, despite the fact that that's on the record about all of this. I mean, I even showed you the patent for the vaccine, vaccine technology, the literal patent that is used for when this whole thing got applied to vaccinology. I mean, let me see if I can actually bring it up. There it is. So I, it's, in, it's in the actual patent that you can bring up if you just want. I, I just recently went over this in the past show, but this is Robert Langer's research. Right, original from 2013, but it's it's goes all the way from 2017 now continually to 2028. So in 2017 was was finally granted after failure, 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 public no, trying, and then all the way until 2028. The point is that when you look into this patent itself, it literally says one of the ways that this could be used is to deliver a chemical concept or a biological weapon, or you know, literally if you read it, it talks about it's it's using something that could be used as a weapon. That's because this is dual use. It's not, it's not secret in the circles that we're talking about. It's, it's right on the top. Because they just deny that, despite it being blatantly written. Now it says, the approach known as RNA interference, or RNAI, holds great promise for treating cancer or other diseases. However, delivering enough RNA to treat the diseased tissue while avoiding side effects in the rest of the body has proven difficult. Interesting how that's always something we hear. Same thing they said about the COVID injection. Is where the problem is when you increase this amount, then there's more side effects. And the problem is if you don't have enough, then it doesn't deliver properly. And that's that tightrope I'm talking about. Even in regard to patching new things together where they go, well, let's add a little bit of polyethylene glycol. That'll make it last longer, but then it, makes, it doesn't degrade, degrade as better. As, I can't talk right now. It doesn't degrade as well. And my point is we know these things are circulating in the bloodstream. They're finding mRNA in literally every organ of the body in autopsies that were produced or done after people got these injections. Like there's an example right there of something that somebody surveying would go, well, that's not true, that's fake news. And the point is that comes directly from peer-reviewed science. There's been multiple autopsies that came through. I think one of them was even on PubMed that came through and literally said mRNA in every organ in the body. Yeah, It's, it's just very sad. I don't think it'll, uh, there we go. There's a good one. Ooh, forgot about that. And there's just so much that we cover on just oh, every day. I do get why this stuff gets bare. Like people get, it's hard. People have a hard time keeping up with this stuff because I'll do long shows every, like every other day or every day. And it's even myself. I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot about all that. This is just one of the things we recently covered. CDC ignores 75 autopsies linking death to the COVID jab. Now, that's not about the mRNA in particular. That is in that conversation, but not every one of them. I think they, they, they found exactly that. But they did find mRNA in these people's bodies, and that's why they're linking this. Here's one directly from the defender. Autopsy confirms 26-year-old's death from myocarditis directly caused by the Pfizer vaccine. Now, this one's even more important because you can see those exact points. It's quite literally on the death certificate. Or was it recent Pfizer COVID vaccine booster? And then the other one was right here. Contributory recent Pfizer COVID booster. What's but you see this strange, but it's but it literally says manner of death, natural. What does that even mean? So if you take if you eat some food 
that gives you some kind of ill. Like it's just it's just strange the way that they, they they frame this as natural. Regardless, it's not hard to see that they're talking. They're telling you that the booster, the shot, played a factor. Now, anyway, back to the point. It says a new MIT particle, the new MIT particles, which encase short strands of RNA within a sphere of fatty molecules. There's your lipid nanoparticle conversation and proteins silence target genes in their liver more effectively than any previous delivery system. The researchers found in a study of mice. And Anderson is senior author of a paper describing the particles in the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences the week of February 10th, Robert Langer and David Koch, the same two people we keep seeing pop up, both at MIT. The research team, which included scientists from Alan Alam Pharmaceuticals. So all the way back in 2014, you can see that Robert Langer is, is, you know, he's a founder. So it's not hard to see that they work together, but realize that this is the same overlap. And it's not, it's not really deniable. Again, pointing out that Alan Alam is only claiming that they have a broad patent on the delivery system, regardless of which way they apply it. It seems like they have a, a, a standing here. Also found that nanoparticles could powerfully silence genes in non-human primates. See, the silencing of genes is a really concerning thing in, the, in all this. The technology has been licensed to a company for commercial development. Now, it says here that the developing RNA, RNA eye therapies has proven challenging because it's difficult to deliver large quantities of SI, or just small interfering RNA, RNA, to the right location without causing side effects in other tissues or organs continually. In previous studies, both Langer and Anderson showed they could block multiple genes with just a small dose of SI RNA by wrapping the RNA in fat-like molecules called lip- lipidoids. That's the same thing, guys. This is what. So here, it, here is Robert Langer working with Alan Alam, it literally doing what they have claimed to. That's think that's very obvious to me. Like lipid, uh, like lipoprotein nanoparticles, the MIT's team knew lipopeptide particles are spheres whose outer membranes are composed of long chains with a fatty lipid tail that faces in the particle. Even the same ter- phrasing, framing, phrasing that we see from their discussion of this today. In the new particles, the head of the chain, and by the way, I'm not saying these are identical, obviously, but it's the same technology. If you're talking about a patent, that's what we're talking about. You can take a, a patent and make, build something that looks very different than the way somebody else built it. But if you're using the same patent, that's the point. In the new particles, the head of the chain, which faces outward, is an amino acid. Strands of siRNA are carried inside the sphere, surrounded by more lipopeptide molecules, molecules of cholesterol embedded in the membrane, and an outer coating of the polymer, peg, which helps to stabilize. Because <laughs> that's not identical. Like That's exactly what they're doing today. It's exactly the same thing. I sh- again, I shouldn't be so loose with that. It's obviously not exactly. When I say exactly, I'm talking about the idea of the lipid nanoparticle delivery system, even down to using the PEG to stabilize it. Now, it says that the researchers was funded by Analom Pharmaceuticals and, of course, the NIH. Now, all, that's what seems interesting to me. So the NIH was even involved with working with them, and now they all seem to be boxing out on the line. That's interesting. Now, here's another one just a little bit further down the line. This one was February 2014. This one is May 2014. RNA carried by the new nanoparticles can silence genes as many organs could be deployed to treat cancer. They always, that's what we always get sold on this high, you know, it'll make people walk again, it'll call, treat cancer, and never what it seems to be about. RNA interference, a technique that can turn off specific genes inside living cells, holds great potential for treating these diseases caused by malfunctioning genes. Interesting to think about whether that's something that is being caused and by what, and then treating this kind of, you know, there's a lot of other factors involved, 
in regard to these new problems people have, right? I mean, there's all these things popping up, you know, not even not not connected to genes, but just talking about like SIDS and SADS and all this stuff, which I'll be focused. Pierre Corey put out a great post today. I'll probably talk about the next show. Just exactly what we've been saying about that. It's really sad, embarrassing, really, that we have a category, two categories, in fact, that amount to quite literally we don't know what this is. And yet that still gets diagnosed, which is not even the right word for it. Because how can you diagnose somebody with, I don't know what's happening? But that's what it is. Sudden infant death syndrome and sudden adult death syndrome are both things that they, they literally, it means we, it's a catch-all for we don't know what caused this. <laughs> it's, it, it seems, it's, that's quite literally willful ignorance to be able to go, we're going to just diagnose people with this. And then they go forward acting like we figured it out. Because, well, that must be SIDS. Well, you're an adult and you died suddenly, so there you go. Okay, then what caused it? Well, we don't know. And it's over, though? Yes, it's over. We're putting it down as SIDS, and we're moving forward. Well, that's exactly the problem here. Because clearly, I think the SIDS and SADs, are, in my opinion, have always been tied to the increase in injections. Now, that, I don't know that for sure. I would never say I can prove that at the moment. But there's a lot of evidence. The correlation is pretty undeniable. But, of course, the people that would say that I am wrong for sure are the ones that won't even engage with the data. They don't, you know, anyway, but the point is, however, it says it has been difficult for scientists to find safe and effective ways to deliver gene blocking RNA to the correct targets. In a study appearing in the May 11th issue of Nature Nanotechnology, an MIT led team reports achieving the most potent RNAi gene silencing to date. The researchers were able to target RNAi to endothelial cells, which form the linings of most of your organs. This raises the possibility of using RNAi to treat many types of diseases, including cancer, cardiovascular disease, and plenty of other things. The paper's author include Robert Langer. Finally, it says the scientists from Analam Pharmaceuticals and Harvard, because don't forget, there's an obvious overlap with Bob Langer, the common denominator, the COVID common, you know, ties to Charles Lieber, who both worked on the same research in China with all of the same stuff we're talking about. And we'll get into Lieber's newest research in one moment. And the NIH. There's something going on here, in my opinion. It's very, very strange. And there's something bigger around all of this. Like, I think about what we're showing with the patents and all this stuff that goes back to the to 60s, right? I'm hoping we can suss this out now. But the point is, you go forward 40 years, you're probably going to look back at stuff like this and go, yeah, that now we see what was going on. Now, here is on Alam again. And their website just pointing out that this is their innovative class of new medicines based on RNA interference and breakthrough discovery. I mean, is that not exactly what they were just working on or what, that we were pointing at them working on with Langer and NIH? Has the exact same overlaps as the injections and all the ones they're using? There's one I was going to grab real quick if it pops up. it was that one anyway i guess it doesn't look like it's popping up i was just going to show you again that the part their website that they published that where it simply says you know exactly what we're talking about that we they have a patent on the broader point but anyway i have to linger on it too long so i know most people probably aren't even as interested as i am in, in how that connects but here just again is the the small interfering rna that's what we we're just pointing at si sometimes known as short interfering or silencing RNA, is a class of double-stranded RNA at first non-coding RNA molecules, typically 20 to 40 base pairs in length, similar to miRNA, and operating within the RNA interference pathway, which this one, what miRNA was the microRNA, which don't forget is how Elon Musk is involved with these microRNA factories and overlap with Tesla, you know, all this stuff. 
is very clearly part of the same agenda. Now, to bring this forward to first 2015, but then to 2023, one year later, we've got Robert Langer, or excuse me, Charles Lieber, injectable message for message meshes for neural recordings. Now, this is syringe. Syringe-based injectable electronic meshing that unfolds in your body. Charles Lieber and his team at Harvard. Now, guys, this is exactly the same stuff that goes all the way back to his virus-sized transistor conversation in 2011, which is exactly what it sounds like. A virus-sized robot, for lack of a better word. Virus-sized, which is... It's, it's, I mean, just really quickly pointing at this, we'll talk about it in a moment. The, this new one they're, they, they're developing is 20, shows it on there somewhere, I think. Yeah, right there. It's just right at the bottom. It's 20 microns. This is supposed to be some new revolutionary, uh, you know, bot, right? Well, a micro, tw- I mean, we're talking about point, I mean, under, one and under is where we're going to get into virus size and even smaller. So 20 times smaller at, at minimum is what we're talking about in regard to this research. Or rather this one. In 2011, ones that can biocombat, it says right there, development of a biocompatible transi- compatible transistor the size of a virus, which they succeeded in 2011. Also using the lipid layer right here, hairpin nanowire with fatty lipid layer in order to push the device into cell membrane, a process related to one cells using to engulf viruses and bacteria. They say when a man-made structure is as small as virus or bacteria, well, it can behave the way bio- biological structures do. As you've heard me point out many times, I always think, just to plant this in people's minds, why don't we ask whether this is something that got out? That's always been one of these topics, right? Lab leak and all that, right? Well, what if that's the thing that got out? Would we know any, would we know? No, as they tell us you right there, we wouldn't even know the difference. It acts just like, it acts like a virus. Isn't that strange? He says down here that when you blur digital and biological systems, you know, like Klaus Schwab is telling us is going to happen right now, that you have the opportunity to do things that sound like science fiction, but they're not. So I've been going, that's not even real. Yeah, it really is, guys. And the point is, four years later, they're making unfoldable mesh that can be implanted via syringe that can then surveil from inside your body. That's what this is. Even gets into visual cortex and these, you could literally surveil from remote, from outside the body. Then, you know, the guy who was supposedly arrested for treasonous actions with China, who only spent two days in prison or jail and never, in fact, never stopped his research. How does that even make sense to anybody? Unless you start to realize there's something more going on with Charles Lieber. This is 2023, still working with all sorts of different Chinese counterparts, which never stopped. During his supposed investigation and trial, he was literally working with people in China that are tied to the Wuhan lab on all sorts of different stuff. The only way you make sense of that is to realize that we're being lied to about what the bigger picture is. So what this is, is the new version of the same stuff that all that ties back to the same overarching work that is using, at this point, Robert Langer's delivery system for this exact work. So this says the same thing. Understanding complex neuronal networks requires monitoring long-term neuronal activity in various regions of the brain. 
It says that they, progress has been made in multi-site implantations of well-designed probes, such as multi-site implantation of psi-based and polymer-based probes. Here we report a long, single, flexible probe that can be implanted by stitching into multiple regions of the mouse brain, or your brain, and subsequently transmit chronically stable signals. Now, again, you can go, go into this deep, and you'll find examples of how far this can go. Literally talking about using the visual cortex and being able to relay bio. Now, the real point is about biosurveillance as in like body metrics and, and um, uh, ge- genomics, right? Being able to monitor your body and what's going on there and be able to predict, let's say, you're going to get sick and, or rather just be able to do all sorts of other things that are, get super dystopian. But on top of that, it does go as far as to potentially be able to literally see what you're seeing. It's not, um, this is what their own research says. Yes, it's forward. But it's happening. So very clearly, I think this is a concerning overlap. Al-Nalam and how that plays in is, I'm, I'm still trying to suss out, but it's interesting that they clearly seem to be involved with how this went down, and they're clearly being boxed out. I mean, don't forget that Moderna is even suing Pfizer, saying they took this patent, and Pfizer's going, no, ours is very different. So obviously, Al-Nalam has some sort of a claim here, if even they're disputing about what they're using. Something very strange is going on. And my bigger point that I said yesterday or day before was about the fact that if this is, as Sasha Latipova points out, a military operation, which I shouldn't even say it, it is. That's not for, up for debate. Operation Warp Speed, the way this was played out, DARPA, the overlap, it is without question, at the very least, has a military overlap. But to her point that if this was all designed as a military operation and done through military countermeasures, well, that's exactly why the FDA seems to have no influence over what's happening. Or people will speak up and then they just get ignored and then they resigned in protest more than once. But we pretend like that's normal somehow. It shows you that there, it's, it seems like a facade. But the bigger part of it is, do you think the military cares about patents? Do you think the military cares about any of this overlap? Clearly throughout history, they've shown that they don't. Right? It's all national security. Or you can make the same argument about intelligence operations. Do you think they care about patents? They've made it very clear. They do not. They think they're above these things when it comes to keeping you safe from evildoers, which is not even what they're really doing. But they, you know, bellicose, you know, belligerently shout that they're saving you from the evils of the world. Well, they're the ones spreading the evils of the world. But let's get into something else that's happening. Some newer research. 2023, May 24th. Now, I personally find it almost impossible that there's not overlap, which I can't seem to find in the source material with Langer, Lieber, and the whole thing. But seeing as how all of them are just kind of scooping out parts of what they're doing and not really using, you know, pretending like they made it, maybe that's, maybe we'll come to see a lawsuit involved with stuff like this. But I just want to show you where this is still going, which is where, honestly, if it hasn't already happened, which that's one of the biggest questions I want people to ask, what would stop them from doing this without our knowledge? Especially since, as I often show you, they've had multiple studies about, you know, discussing, oh, should they do this? Like, should they decide that bioenhancement, like using nanobots to fight disease or whatever, in numbers of bioenhancement, should they decide that they need to do this? Well, they argued they should do it without your knowledge, right? That's to say it's morally preferable for compulsory, so forced moral bioenhancement, so that's the argument that it's best for society, should that it's morally preferable to do forced enhancement and for that administration to be, to the recipients, it's better that they don't know they're receiving the enhancement. That's, that's quite literally what this argument's been made more than once, under the category of bioethics. So the point is, if 
should they have decided this was the, the best thing to save us from climate change or to save us from disease or whatever, do you really think that they wouldn't have tried? And, and maybe they did. Maybe they tried a while ago. Maybe they tried with this. And then it got out of control. Maybe they thought they could do it and test it in China. Maybe they got out of control. I mean, there's a lot of ways you could play this in. The fact that we're so afraid in so many circles to even ask or th consider these possibilities, despite our own government's history, is willful ignorance. I'm not saying I know that for sure, because that would also be stupid. But if you're unwilling to consider it, that's worse than anything. So the point is that it's very possible that these things are something, a smart dust version of things we've talked about could have already been used. And this is all big cover up. But that aside, my point is this is clearly what this was all meant to go toward anyway. The injection and all the conversation could have been something just as a step, a means to an end. I do think it's more complicated than that. But here we have May 24, 2023. Medical micro-robots could one day treat bladder disease, other human illnesses. Now, here's what's really insulting about this. What do you mean one day? I mean, quite literally, in 2011, they've made transistors the size of ro the, vi the size of a virus that could, in fact, do that. Could surveil? Could I mean this? This goes forward quite a bit. I mean, we're talking about the next generation of this unfoldable mesh that could then record. They they've had the delivery capability for them, what since 1979, I believe, was Langer's patent for the lipid nano delivery system, which you, you're seeing today is delivering, or as they claim, mRNA instructions, which they argue is fighting disease, right? So what do they, what do they mean when, what, you know what it is, is they don't want you to associate the lipid nanoparticle concentration and, or the way that's being used as nanotechnology or possible bots. Again, robot is an archaic term that doesn't really even apply, in my opinion, properly to what we're talking about. But it's very interesting. My point is they seem to be packaging this as some distant future when it's already happened, in my opinion. As this says, medical micro-robots could one day deliver prescription drugs throughout the human body. Exactly. That's very concerning. So realize they're not just talking about patching up gene problems or, you know, surgeries. They're literally talking about slow, sustained delivery and release of a drug. Well, what I literally just said is directly from Langer's research. That is what this is about. The slow release of the deliver of the, pay the payload. Well, that's what these injections are, right? The lipid nanoparticle slowly degrades and eventually releases the MRI instructions. That is this technology. So it's strange, right? A team of engineers at the University of Colorado Boulder have designed a new class of tiny self-propelled robots that can zip through liquid at incredible speeds and may one day even deliver prescription drugs to hard-to-reach places inside the body because that's completely science fiction right now, right? Not even remotely. Imagine if micro-robots could perform certain tasks. Hold on. This stupid thing popped up. Let me refresh. It'll remove the highlighting, but I know where I'm looking. Imagine if micro-robots could perform certain tasks in the body, such as non-invasive surgeries. Well, that's really crazy. Surgery? And what exactly is a non-invasive surgery? That seems kind of counter, counter, counter contradictory, right? But either way, talking about a micro-robot that can perform surgeries inside your body and realizing right now that they already have the ability to do this, that's, that's concerning. You know how often I've pointed this out? That when we hear stuff like this, typically it's something that's either already been done for a long time or is already being executed by the military. That's what this feels like to me. But my opinion, clearly, it says instead of cutting into the patient, we can simply introduce the robots to the body through a pill or an injection, and they would perform the procedure themselves. 
Well, how is that non-invasive when you're literally putting something inside the body and then that is then conducting surgery, how, whatever that amounts to? That's alarming. You know, like, here's one of the biggest things. Like, all the other theories aside, this is clearly happening. Or at least they're telling us this is happening, right? This is going forward. We're at a time now where we're in real time becoming aware or have seen already that what they just did failed. You mean, you got Fauci's article in Cell.com that quite literally goes, this all didn't work properly. So, but yet they still push it. It still goes forward. They're still making new shots for it. My point is, if that's that's happening now, do you think this is going to be fleshed out properly? Do you think we're going to be able to find out with four years, two years of peer-reviewed studies to find out what it does to people's body? Hell no. This is going to happen under the guise of some necessity, some threat, or some you know, idea that we're going to help everybody and it's more necessary to do it now. You know, benefits outweigh the risk. That is the living mantra for the next biosecurity state direction. Doing dumb, doing dangerous things for your safety. However that makes sense. Here. is the study itself, which, or actually, no, excuse me, this was, oh, more, just more writing about it, and then here was the study, right? The study, for some reason, only releases the abstract, and you can't find it anywhere else unless you want to pay for it, which I just think that's interesting today, how that's happening more and more. It says, imagine if micro-robots could perform certain tasks in the body. We're just reading this. His colleagues aren't there yet, they say, but the new research is a big step forward for tiny robots. Like Even the terminology feels patronizing. It says the group's micro-robots are really small. Each one measures only 20 micrometers wide. That's what we're just showing you, or microns. Several times smaller than the width of a human hair. Well, we were showing you smart dust that was 20 times the width of a hair. That was, that was what, in 2005, 6? I forget the date always, all the time. Now, that's not to say they could do the same thing. Right? Maybe it needs to be bigger to perform surgery or whatever they claim it can do. My point is simply, again, that this has been around. Using what we just showed you. The, the mesh part of this is, a, is way, way further than that. Now, it says under Fantastic Voyage, it's interesting, same as like what Libra was saying in 2011. Well, if that sounds like something ripped from science fiction, that's because it is. In this classic film, Fantastic Voyage, a group of ad- adventurers travel via a shrunken down submarine into the body of a man in a coma. The movie was released in 1966. Today, we're living in an era of micrometer and nanometer scale robots. Hear them when they tell you that, guys. You talk about this stuff on Twitter, you're a crazy conspiracy theorist because that's how we're supposed to be engaging with this. Like it's some distant future. It is already in people's bodies. And I don't even mean that in the sense of smart dust or robot. I'm talking about the lipid nanoparticle technology as well as plenty of other examples we just showed you where the military and all, they have multiple examples of not just nano particles, but they're using nanotechnology in the military right now, both for weapons and plenty of other things. We just don't get talk. We don't get told about it. I just showed you from a military post last show. And not something that's just somebody writing it down. It's coming directly from their own documentation. It's clear. And what does that mean for foreign countries? I mean, let's be real. The military never cares about what their actions do to foreign countries with their burn pits and their depleted uranium and whatever else they, they don't care. How much you want to bet this is something, maybe that was the whole point. Maybe they went in and said, you know what, we're going to test out these virus-sized particles on those bad guy countries, and then that got out of control. We'll put it the Wuhan games, then suddenly it spreads everywhere. Oops, (laughs) I'm just being a conspiracy theorist, as you know, people would call it. The point is, of course, we should ask that question. I don't know that for sure. It says, he imagines that just like in the movies, 
Micro-robots could swirl through a person's bloodstream, seeking out targeted areas to treat for various ailments. The team makes its micro-robots out of materials called biocompatible polymers, using a technology similar to 3D printing. The machines look a bit like small rockets and come complete with these with three tiny fins. They also include a little something extra. Each of the robots carries a small bubble of trapped air, similar to what happens when you drink when, when you dunk a glass of water upside down or a glass upside down in the water. If you expose the machines to an acoustic field, like the kind used in ultrasound, the bubbles begin to vibrate widely, wildly, pushing water away and shooting the robots forward. That's interesting. So, so there's no risk of some acoustic field that you don't expect <laughs> causing it to... It's just an interesting way to look at it. The group wants to make the machines fully biodegradable so that when they eventually dissolve in the body... Well, you know, that's... You know, of course... As always, I'm seeing, I, I look for the meaning behind the words, and it doesn't mean I know that for sure, but it to me, and maybe they don't, maybe that's not even how they designed it, but let's just put it this way. From the military's perspective, they're going perfect. That means nobody will know. Again, it's amazing. Somebody, that statement could be pushed away as crazy, despite all of what we can prove of our own history. Weaponizing things that are not, that are not inherently weaponized. Insect allies. The idea that somebody out there might go, oh, okay, perfect. So we could use this as a weapon and then it will be removed. We won't even know it's there. Like it's so inherently infantile to act like that's not possible, that there aren't people out there that would do bad. Oh, but only in Russia and China, only in the guys we point at. It's just so silly. All of them are capable of it. We can achieve a more sustained drug release. It's already happening. Here's the study itself if you want to read it. Now, here's just a quick little clip of what it looks like. This is real time times two. So you some kind of outside action causes this to move around. I just don't know why anybody would want something like this to happen. Like, I get the argument they're telling you it's going to revolutionize this and solve this and cause people to do things they've never done before. My point is simply that every single thing in history you could point at has been abused. Everything. Somebody somewhere has taken advantage of the situation to you, and yet we don't consider this. Or artificial intelligence, well, I'll get into it in another show. It's just amazing to me that we're sprinting forward, and the only conversation is how we should deal with it. Do nothing or regulate. That's called a binary false joy. What about not doing it? As much as that may seem silly to some people, the point, well, obviously, some of us are like, well, I don't want it at all. Shouldn't that be part of the conversation? Of course not, because they've decided, at the very least, it has to happen. So it shows you that you're not involved in the conversation. You get they like you to pretend that you are. I'll have a point to that later in the show. But they they want they really want you to think that you're involved. Here's another one that concerns the hell out of me, and this is the one I pointed at in the title. Penn State researchers create first protein-based nanocomputing agent. May 26th, 2023. The first protein-based nanocomputing agent that functions as a circuit has been created by Penn State researchers. So you see how quickly this is escalating. I mean, we're, gonna, we're, we're rapidly growing in so many ways in so many different directions. This is going to get out of control. It already is. It's clear to me. The point, though, is that at what point do we just, we, where so many things are building on so many other things, and these things, right now you can see that these systems are not only not fleshed out, they're proving to be dangerous. Now, whether that's because they rushed or because it was meant to be that way, I don't know. But either way, it's not even slowing down. It's increasing. 
So but my main point is we're a protein-based nanocomputing agent. Now, what's the possibility that that is the spike protein, as David Martin was pointing out? that has been weaponized since 1965. It's been used, it's been released, it's been tested on. I mean, for crying out loud, I even showed you that Ralph Barrick, who he is pointing at from North Carolina University of Chapel Hill, funded by the U.S. government with multiple patent, multiple funded grants, was researching how to make coronavirus-induced myocarditis. It's amazing things like this aren't relevant to the conversation for some people. As we're living through an unprecedented explosion of myocarditis, right after they claim we just went through a coronavirus pandemic, then we go, wait a minute, here, here they are working on coronavirus-induced myocarditis, and we're going to go, that's fake news. <laughs> I'm not saying it even it could be something else, but it's amazing how quickly people are pushing things back. So you, th- this is what it looks like to make a weaponized spike protein concept. So is that possibly what this is? It's knowing that in 2011, they'd already made virus-sized transistors. And we know that the Salk Institute and plenty of others have made it clear that the spike protein alone can cause disease. Well, doesn't that begin to sound like something that's unique and individual and it's not just a, bi- a part of something else? Well, here is the study itself, a non-communitative communitative, com- com- combinatorial <laughs> protein logic circuit controls cell orientation and nanoenvironments. Okay, so just for sake of conversation, consider this and what we know the spike protein is doing. Single protein-based devices that integrate signal sensing with logical operations to generate functional outputs for offer exceptional promise for monitoring and modulating or regulating biological systems. Well, one, doesn't that sound a lot like the idea of implantable mesh that can monitor and regulate your body? It does. Sort of sounds like the same kind of stuff, but maybe not. Overall, I think it's very interesting that we're watching a spike protein that's been worked on since the 60s by the U.S. government to try to weaponize it, to try to cause myocarditis, all these different things we're talking about. And again, I'm not saying I'm assuming that we know that's what this is, just for sake of conversation through their narrative, that the idea is that this looks very similar to me. And, and they're calling it a device, which seems to suggest that, you know, if there's an overlap, that it's very similar. That we're talking about something that is a nanotech, nanotech bot or whatever you want to call it. Now, here's another interesting point to think about. Here is Pascal Najati discussing the spike protein. And how, as we should know by now, as here's another peer-reviewed study that discusses the sustained synthesis of the spike protein from peer-reviewed from Elise Severe 2022. mRNA vaccines promote sustained synthesis of the spike protein, which is not what they said. They still try to deny this. So the point is it's circulating and continuing to, but for how long? And what does that mean? Well, think about this in this context of what this might be doing and how it might might have been designed to do that and whether this is specifically a device that is meant to modulate, monitor, control your body. Here's what he had to say. Actually, this was uh, 1218. Let me make sure I got it right. This was shared with me by Orwell. For evidence went or are now still in trionic freezing. And three vials were used for the lab tests uh, in the laboratory. The results are devastating because the nanolipids are the packaging of both Moderna and Pfizer mRNA 
They're not only pizza toxic. You can Google that. They are synthetic. You can buy them. They are traded for laboratory, for tests, for research, and they're labeled toxic, not for human use or animal use. Clear. Now, we recently went over that again. And just for those that, you know, the argument that's being made, and it's a fair argument, is that there's there's one company that was making these that you can look up. That's the one everyone points at. And it says these are not for human use. They only make them for lab testing. And their argument is the reason they say that is because, well, they don't they don't regulate them as, pro, as well as you normally do if it was going to be used on humans. So they're saying that is not what's being used. They're claiming that Pfizer and Moderna are using a different company that does follow all the regulations. Now, as far as I can tell, I'm not even able to actually prove that. But overall, you don't all that aside. The reality is that there's a reason that those things are dangerous. And it's and there's we could talk about nan, nanoparticles in a general sense that the NIH has already told you are potentially dan, damaging and dangerous that we have barely even fleshed out enough to understand what the long-term effects are on your body, just any nanoparticle. But on top of that, we know that the lipid nanoparticle concentration with polyethylene glycol is potentially causing anaphylaxis. anaphylaxis and we have all sorts of other points we can make. There's a lot of this that's clear. And that, that, that all said and done, these things are dangerous. There's no disputing that anymore. So we have a toxin already in the packaging. Every shot delivers about 15 billion nanolipids into your body. They are charged positively electrically. The blood cells of your body are negatively charged. What happens? The nanolipid shoots into your blood cell, goes inside and destroys your energy system. Um, Professor Dr. Bhakti, who many of you know worldwide, one of the leading experts, made me the expert report, unfortunately, reading of 10 pages of complicated laboratory language, which I don't even understand, and concluded that I have lost at least 20 years of my life, and that the nanolipids have done the first damage. Three shots accumulated 15 billion or 20 billion each. And don't forget, we've already shown lipid nanoparticle concentration building up in the liver, the spleen, and that's from Pfizer's own data. That's not what they told us would happen, and that came from earlier studies. That's why the reevaluation of their phase three trial from both of them showed you a dramatically increased risk compared to not taking it at all. It's crazy. Between 50 and 60 billion nanolipids hitting my blood cells, and we unfortunately also determined one year, three months after the last shot that I still have 183 MPO per milliliter of blood, of my blood, of spike proteins wow. running through the body. So that, that, is, that is confirmed by a doctor that he has a high level concentration of spike proteins still after a year plus circulating his body. So I just want to slow down to make sure that people understand. So how many years of your life did uh, Dr. Bhakti predict you've, you're like to have lost? 20. 20. And that one year and three months after your last injection, they're finding spike protein circulating in your blood. And I'll just let both the commissioners and those watching your testimony know that you've consented to your medical records forming part of, of this record. And so the, the report on your blood with spike protein is now exhibit OT-3C, and the letter from Dr. Bhakti is OT-3A. So um, 
And thank you for consenting to that because it, it verifies what you're saying. And, and I think it's important for people to realize your body is still obviously manufacturing or retaining spike protein after 15 months. Yes, and the, the regulator wrote to me by email that it will be gone after three to six weeks. Uh, obviously not. Um, the doc- Think about the, the kind of evidence we're talking about here. And that you know damn well the kind of people that would ignore that because it has to be wrong. I don't care what you have. I don't care that a doctor proved this. I don't care if you could literally show me a spike protein on your hand, which is not even possible. The point is just that it could be that. They would go, no, because I know that's not true. Sort of like Scotland not even investigating neonatal deaths in comparison to the vaccine. You know why? Because they know that's not going to. Well, really what they actually said was it'll cause vaccine hesitancy. So they're more concerned with allowing with keeping people thinking this is safe, worrying that you might stop people, even question, you might cause people to question it. So in in the interest of keeping that, you don't even look. In what world is that ever considered intelligence or safety or any number of things? I mean, my God, it's just that clear. And it's beginning to show us more than ever that the kind of people that push back on this are either, like this is the thing I keep saying, most of the time I feel when you get into the conversation, you just, they're just bad people that have a vested interest in the lie. But again, we have to realize, like these cl- the climate journalists, <laughs> that these are people that are still, that have been allowed to think that they're at the top of the food chain. Why? Because all of the real journalists with integrity and all the real scientists with integrity, all the real doctors with integrity, all the real nurses with integrity, all the real anything that was willing to stand up and go, I don't know about that because they're right because you can see today, they got fired. They got attacked. They got threatened. They got removed. So what it left you with was all the people that were too dumb to know they were wrong or those that didn't care for numerous reasons. I'm going to keep saying that because I think that's really profound to think about, that we are living through a situation that's like manufactured consent on steroids, where you already had a situation where people wouldn't really be in these positions if they didn't already hold certain beliefs. And then you even sussed further from that, and you create a situation where even those people were like, wait a minute, that's really obvious. Now fired. You're fired. Get out. You're a conspiracy theorist. Now we're going to call you whatever we want. It's very, it's crazy. So my point is he's got real evidence from a doctor that can prove he's got spike proteins. And they're just like, no, it'll, it's, it's gone. <laughs> you're a liar. And then when he proves it, you're suddenly a conspiracy theorist. Because that's what happens, right? When you prove things, you become a conspiracy theorist, apparently. Well, let's not forget, as I keep showing you, and I'll just continue to do this every single time it comes up, because it's amazing to me that it's still happening. Here's just another peer-reviewed study that you've seen, I've shown you from 2023, that SARS-CoV-2 spike mRNA vaccine sequences circulate the blood up to, which means it goes further than that or could go less. But the point is, you read the study that most of these continued, and you just saw the real world evidence of him showing you that, up to 28 days after COVID-19 vaccination. When the argument is, as here's Red Cross's statement, when they go, why don't you label it vaxxed unvaxxed? They go, well, we don't label it vaxxed unvaxxed. Why? Well, because it does not enter your bloodstream. And I followed up going, well, another peer-reviewed study finds that you're wrong. How is it that you can know, how we can know this and you're still standing by that statement? You are putting people in danger. You're accountable for this action or lack thereof. I posted that on January 22nd, 2023. I have retweeted this probably 15, 16 times. 289 likes, 96 retweets. Share it. Get this out there. This is the kind of reality situation, the kind of stark example that makes you go, okay, something's wrong. Doesn't you have to believe everything I thought people are saying, but something is clearly wrong here. 
these were the people telling us to trust the science. There's, it's not like there's some alternatives peer-reviewed study or body of work that's saying the opposite. Everything that's come out now is going, yeah, yeah, it's there. Wait, 12, 11 out of 13 people have it in their bloodstream within an hour. That was the earliest one. Now we've got three or four more studies that say, yep, you're wrong. And they just don't say anything. Crickets. That's, it's scary when you really think about it. That's dangerous. Well, here's one more study. This is an old one, actually, from 2020 that I just wanted to point out to show you where this was, this was in 2020 and where, you know, where their minds are at. Now, we've talked about the optogenetics, magnogenetics, and all these different versions of a similar kind of effort to control your brain. <clears throat> in this case, we're talking about, um, what is the term they use? Optogenetics. All of this is discussed in the same conversation in Charles Lieber's own work. Scientists found a way to control the brain with light. No surgery required. 2020. It says the technology uses light <clears throat> of different frequencies to control the brain. It's a brilliant mind meld of basic neural, neurobiology and engineering that hijacks the mechanism behind how neurons naturally activate or are silenced in a brain. Thanks to optogenetics, it's just 10 years we've been able to artificially incept memories. Artificially incept memories. Think about that. That's some power right there. If you can literally make people remember something that didn't happen or remove memories that did. This is in, in mice, of course. This, it, it doesn't mean it's not. The point is it always starts there. They can also decipher brain signals that lead, up, lead to pain, untangle the neural code for addiction, reverse depression or cause it, restore rudimentary sight in blinded mice or take it away, and overwrite terrible memories with happy ones or the alternative. Optogenetics is akin to a universal programming language for the brain. Isn't it weird how all these overlaps, like the mRNA platform and the plug-and-play system, it's all the same because this is, it's all overlapped. All of this work is leading in the same direction, all picking off each other's same kind of concepts. And I, tr I genuinely believe this ties back to the same kind of stuff. But the point is that programming language for the brain it's just so interesting how they see this. How And who's the one out there telling you that we're in the age of hackable humans? That's Harari. The World Economic Forum, the blending of digital and biological, all of this stuff. That is the same conversation. It says, but it's got two serious downfalls. It requires gene therapy. Well, nothing like that's happening right now, right? And it needs brain surgery to implant optical fibers into the brain. Okay, well, you may be thinking, well... That's not, that's, that's not how. I don't have any brain surgery, so it's not going to happen to me. It says down here, the study suggests that with an injection of a virus carrying the, the CHRM, the Charmin gene, either through the eye socket or through veins, it's potentially possible to control something as integral as a personality or social ability with nothing but light. That's very interesting. Now, consider the lockdown. And just, you know, I'm just, and always, just thinking outside the box. And no, there's nothing even suggestive that this is happening. But thinking about just for fun, because which we should consider all possibilities, which is what they're most afraid of, that we're during lockdown, right? Everyone was locked down, and maybe this was an effort to study things, to go, well, let's see what happens. Let's see if we apply this, if we can keep everybody inside, or whether they break, come back out, right? That's social ability. What's interesting is we're talking about how this could be used invasively, but they go, but wait a minute. We found a way with a virus. Some kind of an edited virus, like they're doing, like Lieber's work and all of this stuff, injection, 
and that can carry the gene, which can effectively cause this. It says you, you, of course, don't worry though, because you're not, you're not susceptible, right? Because you'd have to volunteer for what amounts to gene therapy, which comes with its own slew of problems before this could potentially work. So keep those tinfoil hats off. Scientists can't yet change an introvert like me into an extrovert with lasers. You know why? Because this crazy gene therapy is not happening, right? Well, seeing as how we know that gene therapy injections are being given to everyone in the world under the guise of a vaccination, and that now they have the ability to use this uh, an injection of a virus, well, apparently it's already possible. But don't worry, they'll keep those tinfoil hats off because, you know, you're not taking gene therapy, right, guys? Well, hopefully none of you are, but the reality is a lot of people have. I, as always, I'm just simply pointing out that this doesn't seem as far-fetched as they want it to seem. And now we've already passed a bar, which seems to have potentially made that possible, if that's what happened. His whole point was, don't worry, though. Gene therapy's not everyone's, not everyone's doing that, so you're not at risk. Well, kind of that's behind us now. Unlike Neuralink and other neural implants, the study suggests it's possible to control the brain without surgery or implants. All you need is light. Hmm. That was 2020. I'm just showing you the, the concerning direction of all of this and acting like it's all altruistic, right? There's no reason they would do this to, to hurt anybody or to control anybody or for profit alone. And of course, it's on top of that not possible that somebody could then step into this, even if they were altruistic, and then apply it in a way that's bad because that's never happened anymore. Like, it's just, it's just it's irresponsible the way all this happens these days. They don't care. Now, let's talk about vaccination in general, right? Talking about the injection, the gene therapy, experimental injection that's dangerous right now. It's hurting everybody. It's being given to everyone without fail. I'm not, not, that's not to say that it's immediately showing that, but this thing is dangerous. It is dysregulating your immune system. It's all, it's on, you can see their own studies showing you that. When your body dramatically starts producing less, that, that's not the, the shot failing three months later. That's your body's immune system failing. And there's peer-reviewed studies that point this out, the dysregulation of your lymphocytopenia. That's what's happening. They've even admitted this. But we've seen this in other things as well. So before we only assume that it's only the new thing and any, any other questions of any other vaccinations is just bad. Well, no, we should start poking into everything. As, by the way, we always should have, as we've been doing on this platform ever since it started. But Mike points something out. 11-year follow-up from the Costa Rica HPV vaccine in trial. Well, let's take a look. You can look at all of his screenshots here, but we grabbed it from the study so you guys can read it. This is from 2022. It's not brand new. But it's interesting, right? Because wouldn't you think this would be more widely spread if we found out that the HPV vaccination wasn't actually stopping HPV, that in fact it was actually increasing your risk of HPV in some ways? Isn't that surprising and shocking? It shouldn't be. Seeing as how we just found out that the people that got monkeypox vaccines are in fact getting monkeypox, and we found out that people that got HPV in fact increased their risk for HPV. We found out that when you get the flu shot, it actually increases your risk of other, other coronaviruses, 36%, according to the Pentagon. We found out people that get the COVID shots are actually increasing their risk to catch. You seeing a, a common thread here? I certainly am. It's almost as if we talk about foreign policy where we go, okay, well, either they're the worst people ever at trying to create freedom, and fail over and over and over and over, or they're not really trying to create freedom. Same point to be made here. Either they're the worst ever at what they're doing, or they're not really making these things to prevent stuff. 
I mean, really take a minute to think about what we can see. Now, of course, that goes against the other narratives. You know, look at the, the, the narrative spun around polio. But, you know, when you dive into it, you find out that almost every one of these historical vaccinations had been given at a time when things were already decreasing. And you saw an increase after they were given and then ebbed back down. And that could mean it had an effect or it could mean that it was already going down. The vaccination caused what we're seeing here, which is an increase. And then it went back down naturally. Now, somebody would love to frame that as anti-vax, which is just such an ignorant thing. It's like calling you a conspiracy theorist. It means you have no imagination. It means you are towing the line. As I've said 100,000 times, if what we understand about vaccinology is correct, I would argue that, of course, it could be applied in a positive way. I do not trust what people are doing. I don't trust the people involved. Now, you can call whatever you want, whatever you want. You're not a serious person, if you're dismissing people for what you think their opinions are. But overall, is this not evidence? Why do, why do we ignore some and, other, and, and, and pretend others are everything? Why do we ignore peer-reviewed random-controlled trials and say that this observational study done in two months means everything? Well, because people are choosing that. It's what they say we cherry-pick when, in fact, it's rapidly happening in reverse. Let's look at this really quickly. So this is what just the, stu- the article says from Medscape. HPV vaccination unmasks cervical lesions from non-vax strains. It says new evidence suggests that HPV vaccination makes women more susceptible than their non-vaccinated peers to HP- HPV genotypes not covered by the vaccine. Now, we're not even going to get into, which there's a conversation to be had about whether this, in fact, even does have a positive effect in regard to what it's supposed to or whether the benefits outweigh the risks. But either way, the bottom line is you take this injection for HPV and it actually increases your risk of other genotypes of HPV. That's the point. That's not a functioning anything. That's a failing product. Especially since you can get into HPV vaccines and the conspiracy theory around them, which there's lots of peer-reviewed science and observational work and public groups that have shown what they've done to people and their families, that it is causing problems. Now, you could argue that it still has an effect on efficacy or has efficacy, which, again, these are things we should start to dispute, seeing as how it's coming from the same groups that we caught caught lying about near everything. But ultimately, there's a huge body of evidence that suggests that the benefits don't outweigh the risks, but the other way around. And now we're finding out that aside from that, it increases other types. After a follow-up of 11 years among vaccinated women, there was an excess of precancerous cervical lesions caused by genotypes not included in the vaccine, resulting in negative vaccine efficacy for those variants. The results are likely the first evidence to date of clinical unmasking with HPV vaccination, meaning that protection against the strains covered by the vaccine leaves women more prone to attack from other carcinogenic HPV variants. Interesting how that works. How many times do we need to see an injection under the guise that it's supposed to stop you from getting sick cause the thing they tell you it's supposed to stop? They love to shout that topic down. Flu vaccines won't cause the flu. Well, we can literally prove that's not true, especially since you can show that it caused, at the very least, which, remember, they call anything during flu season before COVID flu, anything that has the same symptoms, conflating pneumonia with flu, and now we're doing the same thing with COVID. The point is, that you can prove that these flu shots increase your risk of other diseases, 36%, according to the Pentagon. So it's really, it's really splitting hairs. But into specifically the mRNA shots, Aussie 17 just shared that a member of Japan's parliament has admitted cancer after three doses of mRNA. 
He says, I am suffering from malignant lymphoma after receiving a messenger RNA vaccine three times. That's pretty interesting. This is this is not a fake person, guys. This is a per- this is somebody. There's a lot of people around the world that are finding the courage to speak out. And I'll just include this. You guys can look into this further if you'd like to. This is one of the breakdowns of one of my recent shows on the cancer, turbo cancer. And this got to the the overview on the the Substack and added a bunch. And this is this is undeniable. Oh, you know, one thing I'll also include because this is one of the best. One-stop shop kind of place. Swiss Policy Research oops, has been doing a great job since the very beginning on a lot of these topics. Swiss Policy Research, COVID vaccines and cancer. And it gets into the reality. This is showing that up to 50% of vaccinees have, they induce immune suppression, which then leads to cancer. But there's a lot of other stuff in here as well. It's just everywhere you look right now in regard to anybody being honest about what they're seeing. All the people, all these practices saying I'm an explosion in cancers, people that have had cancers that just, you know, typically in their, even people that never had cancers getting cancer, people that had cancers and historically they would see them maybe progress a little bit are exploding to stage four within a week or whatever the narrative is. You're seeing doctors everywhere speak up about this. Just like we saw doctor dentists speak up everywhere about how the masks were hurting their patients and they got shouted down and they got scared to say it again. Same thing. It's all about narrative control. But he's telling you he has cancer because of these injections. That's his opinion. He's, I'm a member of the Japanese parliament. A video of me discussing the effects of the vaccine with Professor Yazumasa, an expert in molecular biology, was banned by Google. Shocking. Does your country allow companies to censor vaccine information? Will you allow violations of my right to pursue my cause of illness? Japan is, the, well, see, apparently he doesn't know that they've been given indemnity from everything everywhere. Japan is the country where the highest number of people have received the messenger RNA vaccine worldwide, which is true, which is also why they're exploding with the highest excess death of most all countries you can see, or at least it's at least in the top five or 10. I forget what number it was, but they're all very close. These countries that have high vaccinations rates are all exploding with excess death and they're all baffled. We're all baffled about it. I am convinced, concerned, he says, that Japanese citizens are suffering and dying from effects of the vaccine. The security threat is not from Russia or China, but from your country's pharmaceutical industry and big tech obstructing inquiries about it. That's a big statement from Japan, an ally. I believe it is necessary to summon the leaders of these companies to the Japanese parliament and question them. I learned about freedom and human rights in your country. I request that you cooperate in protecting freedom and human rights. Pretty crazy. Look at this. Look at that excess mortality, guys. How in the world do you pretend that this didn't start, obviously, with the dramatic, first of all, you can see a spike higher than ever in their history immediately after the injections, 20, 2021, boom. Then after the re-administration, after bivalent and everything else and all the changes, it's just exploding. And again, if you're screaming COVID-19 in the background, they've already ruled that out in most of these locations. Just unreal. Now, here's an interesting post. Just really quickly wanted to share. We've talked, we have a bunch of, uh, I think I have two interviews in the past with Dr. Buttar who recently passed away. Now there's a whole bunch swirling around that. He argued he was poisoned following this interview. He believes he was, well, some people argue that he was saying that it was about shedding of the vaccine, but that he argued he got like a 20 time dose of the spike protein or something like that. None of this I can prove. The point is that he recently passed away. But what's interesting in this clip And by the way, make sure you look at his work because he was very courageous in saying what he believed. The the CNN anchor who was interviewing him, which you may not have known, 
literally put him to the test and said, you know, so I'm going to die, huh? And then Butar says, let's meet up in three years and see what happens. That guy died 14 months later. I mean, I don't know how much of this people can dismiss. Of course he could but have died from something else. But it's not necessarily the fact that this one case proves everything. It's that you have a body of evidence here of this exact weird thing happening over and over and over. Like the bodybuilder that said, if I die, then you're right. And then he died. And they all go, no, you're lying. It's fake news. And it's like, come on, guys. He set himself up as the case to prove and then died. I, it's just, it gets hard not to see this and hard not to see the cover up. You, you think, I'm right? You think I have a time bomb in me and I'm going to go? I hope not, but let me, I'll be happy to meet you in three years and then see how you're doing. But you think that's possible? I think that it's probable. He's telling these people and convincing them not to get a life-saving vaccine. We have some stunningly heartbreaking news to share with you this morning, that our colleague, our friend, and truly distinguished CNN journalist Drew Griffin passed away in the last 24 hours. Drew Griffin died suddenly last December. CNN said his death occurred. That's the woman that put this out. Uh, the, she made a longer video that showed the whole thing. Uh, it's right here. You can check it out at the bottom. Well, there's one other example here before we move on to the Vanilla ISIS PSYOP. There's some interesting work being done. I actually recently just reached out to Kevin McKernan. And as I often point out, the, the, this is the, the, the one not to be confused with the other ridiculous guy who I think pretends to be a PhD. <laughs> Ultimately, Kevin McKernan is doing amazing work. And this guy is, I mean, there's, some, there's something about this that I think is very interesting and relevant. I'm going to go over some thoughts I had, but I, I reached out to him to try to get, to try to, uh, get him on for an interview. Yeah, when, after I did that, he followed me, so I think he's going to reach out. I hope he does, because I really do want to connect with him. What this says, this is uh, NZ and the mRNA plot, uh, channel pointing out that what he recently did. Now, we've seen that Jackie Lee's talking about this, Jessica Rose, and a lot of others that have been talking about it. But there's, some of this stuff gets really difficult to, to, for the non-scientific person to, to read. These, these things get deep into the scientific jargon that's very difficult to understand. And even for those of us that are willing to go through the, the process and learn the words and research this stuff like we've done throughout COVID-19. Some of this stuff gets really deep and gets just beyond us, right? So what I would love to have him on to, ex to explain this, but here's what the breakdown is. <clears throat> it says, so far, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> this person has not spoken out about what they're calling plasma gate or plasmid gate. I kind of hate the gate thing. It's always on there, but there seems there seemed so much to be concerned about. mRNA, Pfizer. I wanted to stand on the sidelines before bringing this new horror out of the cupboard. Several weeks ago, Kevin McKernan, PhD, a scientist with 25 years experience in the genomic field and a leading expert in sequencing methods for DNA and RNA, shared his discovery. With such deep implications, he, this person writing this chose to look the other way until he confirmed it for himself. Now he has. Kevin received vials of both Pfizer and Moderna, thinking he would receive vials of mRNA. He did, but discovered that they were not pure mRNA, but instead had, had, a, had a lot of DNA in the background. Now, we recently actually talked about this to a degree, about that, the, the contamination, right? We, we've even talked about, let me see this one real quick. I had an interview with Jessica Rose, PhD, specifically about the truncated spike proteins and the blot, what they call blot gate, which you can prove 
Again, there's so many of these angles that are just so obvious. Scientifically, you can show these are, it's, it's mathematical. What they did is a lie. They put out Western blots, which are supposed to, they're basically representation of the spike protein, and they're identical, which, not to get in deep in the conversation, the point is, this is how they're supposed to look, like these up here. Never before, is every scientist that spoke up goes, this, there's no way, that's impossible. So Pfizer's lying. They put out fake blots to make it seem like the spike protein was, was the same. The reality is it turns out that they're not, that it's, it's the, the, the main point we went in this discussion was what are the risks of truncated spike proteins? Because that's what that would show if they weren't the same exactly. Or the point is that they are hiding something. So what if they were rather the science is showing that they're not complete. They're, there's lots of different contamination and manipulation on top of that. So the point is you can watch this if you want. It's a great, great interview. We get into a lot of this stuff. There's a lot of evidence now pointing out exactly what we're talking about. That there's, remember, we've talked about people showing pieces of glass or metal shavings or so on, which some would argue that, that might be graphene oxide or the, some other kind of component. There's a lot of conversations swirling around this. And the fact that they tried to hide this for 75 years doesn't make it that much, it makes it easier to consider. But it says possible roots, roots for mRNA to convert to DNA, including a process known. Oh, and they were saying, remember when we were told that they could not change our DNA? We were saying, that they were that these the ideas were discounted until the publication of an annoying little paper in 2022 that talked about the liver cell liver cell line, which we've talked about many times. Intracellular reverse transcription of Pfizer BioNTech mRNA COVID vaccine BT, BNT126B2. That's the modified mRNA in vitro in human liver cell line. So that they proved that's possible. And then Dr. McCullough shared this. This hasn't been attracted. Just added a comment. So very real. Even if it was tracted, by the way, that still wouldn't mean that it's not that it's not real. Uh, where were we? Right here. <clears throat> so the point is that they that study came out, and suddenly we it, it was obvious. And there's been more since then that makes the same point. But it says, but the contents of the vials Kevin received showed foreign DNA was already present. Not that it altered your body, but it was inside the injection serum. No reverse transcription was needed to magic up DNA to cause havoc. It was already there, which is hugely problematic. Ready-made and intact in the injections. Now, if that's true, I don't know how you wouldn't argue this was designed. I mean, look, already it's easy to argue that this was made to hurt people. But this adds a whole other level to this. Kevin found mRNA fragments, other pieces of RNA, and two forms of DNA. Linearized and circular in the vaccine. The significance of the circular or plasmid DNA is important, he says. The plasmid DNA is the complete recipe used to program bacterial cells to mass produce the mRNA. So if this was some kind of an accident, which I don't know how it's possible, it would explain all the, the, why this is hurting people. But if it's not, why would they want that to happen? It's almost like they've tried to turn your body into drug factories. Wall Street and biotechnology companies have been very excited about this idea. And what essentially it is, is trying to hack the cells in the body in order to make them into drug factories. And we just talked about that in one of their own studies that literally said that's what they were trying to do with this same research. Interesting. So what he's basically saying is that it's the complete recipe used to program bacterial cells to mass produce the mRNA. This DNA should not be there. Further investigation by McKern shows the plasma DNA contained in the vaccine was indeed viable and capable 
of transformation in bacterial cells. And let's not forget that the whole point about this overlapping research, uh, let's, you know, uh, specifically, we can go either one, really, but taking back to this point, or Langer's research, the idea is using the lipid nanoparticle for, for one very clear reason, as it says. Where was it here? That it was basically harming the cell membrane. But when they did the fatty lipid layer, well, that device was easily pulled into the cell membrane, right? They used to engulf viruses or bacteria. It's interesting. So it seems to be an overlap. Maybe I'm just seeing what I want to see, but I find it interesting. Now it says both Pfizer and Moderna injections contain DNA encoding the spike gene and potentially capable of inserting into the genome of an organism. Doesn't that sound exactly like what this design was meant to do? Could this foreign DNA become a part of the human genome? And if so, what would be the consequences? Now, that's a huge conversation, which I've touched on in a different show, and I'll, I'll show you the article. <clears throat> but it says manufacturing standards allowed for a minuscule amount of DNA contamination, around 0.033% of the total nucleic acids in the dose. What did Kevin find in his samples? DNA contamination of 35% in the bivalent, the new one, the one now they're telling everybody to get. This is up to a thousand times higher than deemed to be acceptable by the regulatory authorities. In Pfizer's monovalent, the levels of DNA, 18 to 70 times higher than the EMA limit. If McCurry findings are verified, the implications are serious. Widespread DNA contamination would, be, would bring into, the, into question the quality of the entire mRNA injection manufacturing process, safety systems, and regulatory oversight. In addition, DNA might not be the only contaminant. Seems like a valid thing to bring up. But they've been caught 96 times, at least since 2000, on record for lying or for safety-related offenses. 15 different times they've been charged to the tune of $5.6 billion in fines. Why? For doing things that weren't safe, you know, like safety processes or healthcare-related offenses 10 times for $3 billion. Or how about False Claims Act, 20 different claims for over a billion you know what the false claim is? Like lying about what they can do. Hey, they're safe and effective. Are they? Oh, you're caught. Give me a billion dollars. So that you can keep lying. It's just, it's, it's amazing. Absolutely staggering. This, 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 we just can't see this, some people anyway. Widespread DNA contamination bring into question the quality of the entire thing. The contamination discovery begs a question. What does Australia's Office of Gene Technology Regulator know about the safety of these injections? And what discussions have occurred between them? Some of these questions are being asked, and hopefully we'll get answers. Now here, oh, this wasn't the one. Oh, this was uh, Kevin McKernan's account, which you should follow, and his tweet follow, going further, where this is somebody saying, in response to their back and forth, you know, I'll just tell you, it says, French medical bodies on Sunday called the authorities to punish researchers for the largest unauthorized clinical trial ever seen, the use of hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID-19. So stupid. Like, so that's the largest unauthorized clinical trial, <laughs> really, as we're living through the most obvious experiment in history. But he says prescribing off-label medications has only become controversial since the COVIDian Karens had a conniptions over it in COVID, which is true. They give, as they give uh, aspirin off-label all the time. Or give it. It's something you can buy in the store. But the point is that's used. They, they tell you, take an aspirin for, to stop you know, heart problems. That's not, that's not what it's been studied for. But obviously, there's far more serious examples of that. But he's right. Doctors were, have always been given the, the authority to, to prescribe, some, prescribe something that they think might have an effect. 
But it says, it says Renault was running it, but the point is choice always. It was running an experiment without getting proper informed consent. When you do off-label prescribing, you let the patients know it's off-label and you should have and show them evidence it works for their condition. He goes, that's rich. Did the Pfizer trial inform their victims of the DNA in their shots or the bait and switch they did on manufacturing methods of the vaccine? He says, it's mRNA, not DNA. Do your research. Okay, you know, see, this is my point about how people assume. He didn't imply that this was DNA in vaccines. But of course, because these people don't want to look further, they assume that's what he meant. People who assume are stupid. We all do it sometimes. It happens just by, by in passing. But when you're in a conversation with somebody and you are having an argument, to assume you know what they mean when it comes to the core of the argument, that's willful ignorance. Or rather, really, it's hubris. Undeserved hubris. But he goes, the full trial disclosures are available online. You know, all the information we're now proving they lied about, like the phase three trials, which show that they're more dangerous. But, you know, this guy follows the, he toes the line. What is this bait and switch? That's an accusation I've not heard of. And here's what he says. This is when informed consent shapeshifts into reformed consent. It doesn't matter that I didn't know there was DNA in the shots. You don't know everything about it. <laughs> just, you know, arguing basically the analogy, you don't know everything, ingredient, your hot dog. The point is they're acting like you don't know everything anyway. So the bottom line is, there's so much that's already happened that we know they've lied about. That at the very least, if you don't want to frame it that way, that they've been wrong about. And yet we come to these kind of points and you get the same pushback from the same people every single time. And the reality is that there is science that's being conducted that is, in fact, showing this. Now, one thing I want to show you that we'll potentially going to do, I'm, well, I'm going I'm to wait to reach. I want to connect with him. I'd like to have him on to talk about it. <clears throat> but I had a thought about this. So we're talking specifically about the modified RNA shots. And the fact that they have DNA in them, or at least that's the allegation. Well, I went back to this article, the role of N1 methyl pseudouridine in COVID-19 vaccines, which again is the modified, that's what is in these injections. It just shows you that, you know, key aspect of these COVID-19 mRNA vaccines is specifically the modified nucleobase N1 methyl pseudouridine to increase its effectiveness. So they modified it. And then added polyethylene glycol on the lipid nanoparticle delivery system to make sure that doesn't break down. And all these different tightrope things they added, which each one in its own way causes or reduces side effects. So as you see them play with this in real time as people are being hurt, that's what's going on. They're testing and experimenting on you. But either way, the point was this, as it says, to evaluate the design above, it requires first overcoming a technical challenge. How does one produce at scale, a synthetic mRNA with a linear sequence far longer than can be chemically synthesized while simultaneously preserving the flexibility to incorporate modified nucleobases such as, that stands for the N1 methyl pseudouridine. We also just realize that it's very clearly mod RNA in all of these shots that are being taken. And yet that's something that's even disputed by people online. By that ridiculous weatherman that still argues that I'm wrong after he blocked me, that it's the same thing because you don't know how to read. They're just ignorant, man, and it's very clearly easy to prove. But the point is that even they say it on the news, the government, Pfizer, because there's a reason they don't want people seeing this. I think there's a big point here. But going past that, it says the answer has been to take a cue from nature and make them uh, enzymatically. This approach takes advantage of the fact that DNA which is far easier to synthesize than RNA, can be stitched together in large synthetic fragments. Now, does that mean that in your body and how that can be applied to use it, or does that mean something that this does in the process? It says these fragments are used to construct plasmids in which the code for the COVID-19 vaccine is placed downstream of a sequence that promotes its transcription into mRNA by recombinant T7 RNA polymers. 
by incubating these plasmids with T7 polymers and nucleotide uh, trypsophates, high yields of mRNA are produced. Now, I'm, just, I'm genuinely asking. Like this, this, my point would be this. If that's literally talking about this is an advantage of using this process because DNA can be stitched together in large segment synthetic fragments is something that's being added or it's something I, I would argue this is not something that's going to be posted anywhere. My point in showing you this is it seems that there is an overlap with how this can be used. And maybe that's why this has been put in there. Maybe it's being used to add some kind of an like maybe this I'm just theorizing, which, of course, is what they'll love to call conspiracy theory. It's really just conspire theorizing about things that might be happening. Which, by the way. I mean, I was going to try to give a percentage to it, but, you know, all these things that were fake news yesterday are being shown today to be, you know, there was a time when NSA spying on Americans was a dangerous conspiracy theory. And you were so dumb for thinking that or that there were black helicopters, which even today people call black helicopter conspiracy theories. You realize that's one of the most obviously real things out there that they have like silent helicopters that they use where you can't really they made fun of it in the movie conspiracy theory. But you could look, and it's right on their own documentation. Or the idea of something like a, a, a heart attack gun. That was discussed in an open congressional forum. And yet it's something, or the idea that things like lithium, uh, uh, fluoride in your water was a crazy conspiracy theory. Right? So many of these things are fake up until they go, oh, but they're not, but it's for your best interest. And we just jump right past that open, that middle ground where we go, wait a minute, though. Doesn't that mean you were lying this whole time? <laughs> it doesn't even matter. So I think it's interesting to ask. In any case, I think it's very concerning that we do know this is happening and that we're not finding all sorts of further examples of what is inside this thing or what, it, what it's designed to do. It's very concerning. But the one question I want to get to before I have him on the show and dive further is the question he posed, Aussie 17, is, you know, what does that mean? We've already talked about this. Now, the title doesn't show it. I had to ch- remove some stuff so I didn't get to it. But the point was, in regard to human patenting, that we talk about the idea that what happens ultimately, hypothetically, at a time when you end up having something that literally changes your, your DNA, and it uses a modified RNA to do it, what does that mean? Well, based on all the techno- all the information we have, the argument is, well, they, they, the only thing they can't patent is a full-grown human being. Or rather, just a, a human being, I think. But the point is that, well, what happens if you then show, like with, with the Monsanto patented organisms that and find their way into natural processes, and they go, oh, but that's my patent now. It doesn't matter if it blew over there from the wind. It's nine now. I own your farm, which is quite real. Same point, isn't it? It's just broadening out the understanding, which from a legal point, how long until they start to argue that if I can prove that you've got my patented whatever in your body, that you are now not natural human and I could arguably own you to see this is the kind of stuff that's hard for people, even on, you know, people, this is, I'm never afraid to talk about things. You know that doesn't mean that I'm saying that's happening. But it's certainly interesting, and you can certainly see that there are people having these conversations. So it's really stupid to dismiss this as not something we should talk about. But in any case, it's certainly something that's coming. This is on the building blocks for our future, and I think this is one of the most important things they don't want people talking about. But let's shift over into a topic of one of the most obvious psyops I think I've ever seen that is very clearly being used to control another part of this larger agenda, which I would argue is just the ability to freely speak, the ability to 
do what I'm doing now. Right? Have a show, discuss these things, entertain possibilities. And what that is all about is creating a, a guise that what I'm doing is actually wink, wink, racist. Or actually, you know, domestic terrorism because I hate people because of their, or whatever. The, you know, it's all about hate and violence. That my words are violence. And that all stems back to the idea that's because I'm somehow being influenced by a foreign power. And I don't even realize it. It's all the vanilla ISIS psyop, which, by the way, is a term they coined. They got relentlessly ridiculed for it, and that seems like they've stopped using it. But the point is, talking about vanilla ISIS is supposed to say, well, it's, a, it's you know, ISIS being a foreign boogeyman in the Middle East that we've been telling you is the focal point of our, our efforts this entire time when really we've been focusing on you under the guise we've been focusing on them, which is always the point. The war on terror was pointed at you, just like the biosecurity state is pointed at your body. But the point is, well, vanilla ISIS, because, well, now it's ISIS, but in our country, and it's white supremacy, though. And they're working together because they both hate our government. Don't think too hard about how that doesn't make sense. Just blindly go along with it. You see, people at one point were kind of doing that. Not anymore. And what's funny is you, people will see the vanilla ISIS term and act like that's my term and make fun of it. It's like that, that is literally from the corporate media. But the point is that I'm going to show you yet again an undeniable connection between the groups they're trying to point at and put in front of you as bad guy Russia. That's not to suggest that all these governments are not equally trying to control your life. It's just the way they frame this is just obviously dishonest. When in reality, you can prove the guy you're looking at right in this video, which I'll play in a second, directly ties back to the Rise Above movement, to Vanguard America, to Patriot Front, and the Azov movement, and through that, the CIA. As he stands in front of a U.S. tank with Nazi, symbol, Nazi symbolism as he says that he's just right-wing. Now, I'm not even saying that I, that doesn't matter to me, quite frankly, whether he claims he's a Nazi or claims he's this or that. He is part of a dangerous extremist group that is very clearly working with the U.S. government, in my opinion, and the Ukrainian military to achieve some kind of horrible end that has nothing to do with fighting for freedom or people at all. It's like every other narrative we talk about, it's very, very clear. I shouldn't say every, I've talked about plenty of things that I'm still sussing out. But in any case, let's, let's talk about this first. This is Wyatt Reed, leader of the Russian Volunteer Corps, which I agree should be in quotes. I mean, the idea that we know what this is with everything is just kind of naive, which which tried to invade Russia from Ukraine, which is actually kind of amazing that this hasn't gotten more discussion. Do we realize what a huge line that is? Like every single red line has been crossed aggressively by the U.S. They pretend like nothing's happening. And then Russia points at it and says, well, there's a line, there's a line, you shouldn't have, you know, joining NATO, giving them arms, doing all these things, Donbass, every one of them is an argument that they should be going to war, and then when they finally do something, they go, unjustified! It's just, it's so ridiculous. That's not to say that I agree with invading the country, it's just simply the obvious point that it was not unjustified or un, unprovoked. It's so childish. But these people literally, and he says in the article, at the behest or at the involvement of the Ukrainian military, just crossed into Russia and carried out a, a raid or whatever you want to call it. So this is crossing the border into Russian territory and working with U.S. equipment and funding. I mean, how in the world do you not see this as exactly what the Russian government is saying it is, a U.S. invasion or a U.S. effort against Russia? I mean, it's just obviously what this is. And you could still pretend that means that they're in the right. I don't know how you would possibly frame it that way. But doesn't it matter that they're now seemingly publicly arming and funding and working with neo-Nazis? But the only reason they say that now is because they're going, but they're Russians, though. 
but they're working with Ukraine, guys. <laughs> like I said, I don't think they understand what they think the story means. Either way, let's let's watch this really quickly. And, you, and what he does down here is show you this is the guy's names, D- Dennis Kaputstin or Dennis Nikitin. That's the other is the nickname. And he had another nickname in here somewhere. White Rex, that's what it was. His call sign, White Rex. He's just saying, look, these aren't just random white right wingers. In the video, that's what they say. I know we're not Nazis, but you can literally point this and say and show them wearing neo-Nazi ideology, doing, as he points out, these are not just fake ones. These are full-blown, goose-stepping, sig-hiling Nazis. That's his opinion. But here's what the guy says. Describe yourself as a neo-Nazi. Do you mind being described as a neo-Nazi? I don't, I don't think it's an insult. I don't care about that. I mean, what can I do about that? You, are, you represent huge media, so you can call me pedophile. You can call me neo-Nazi. You can call me whatever you want. What can I do against it? Hmm. Interesting. So, let's talk about this guy. Dennis Kapustin is a Russian neo-Nazi who has ties to the Azov movement. It's right on the ADL, by the way. Not That's not hard to wrap your mind around, seeing as how they're operating out of Ukraine. But so, just first point. So, they're, that's the corporate media. So, you're a Nazi. He's like, well, you know, I don't really, like, doesn't push back on it at the very least. But owning the fact that they're extremist, right? Neo-Nazi at the very least. And yet, that's not a problem for the narrative. Like, so, so now the clear point is that they're, they're dangerous, extremist, racist, working with the government that we're funding. Literally standing in front of a U.S. tank. So either that means that they're lying to you about the fact that they're all extremists or the fact that they're they don't that obviously there is an overlap with the extremism and it's not on the Russian side. If these groups have to leave to fight with the Ukraine because they and that's what they say, it's not my opinion, is that they fight with this side because they're ideologically aligned. So how does that not prove exactly what Russia's saying? He co-hosted a podcast with the Rise Above movement. That's the more important point to me. I mean, Azov is obviously clear because Azov is the direct connection to the CIA. But the Rise Above movement is the U.S. arm of this. That's the U.S. arm of the Azov movement. I'll show you that in one moment again. You've seen that. I've shown you this guy before. We've talked about him. Well, here is Al Jazeera, leader of an anti-Putin force, says expect more Russian border raids. So this is in real time. They are saying we are going to continue to invade Russia on the ground. First of all, think about how stupid that is. Like do a little bit of history in regard to what happens when you try to invade Russian, you know, ground force invade Russia. But regardless, it seems really silly to me that this is being framed as somehow negative for Russia. Like like because they're Nazis. See, we told you Russia's Nazis as they're fighting with the Azov movement in Ukraine. It's almost meant to be, I don't even know. I mean, I, this seems really stupid, but I'm, I'm never surprised at the idiocy of the corporate media. Twenty May 25th, the Russian commander of fighters that conducted the raid on Russian border region this week says his group would soon launch more incursions into Russian territory from Ukraine. Now, when I said that, by the way, I wasn't necessarily talking about Al Jazeera. I'm more so talking about the way they're framing it everywhere else. But it says here that, quote, I think you will see us again on that side, says Kapustin who is known as an extreme right-wing Russian national who introduced himself to reporters by his call sign, White Rex. Says, I want to prove to them, the Russians, that you can fight against tyrants and that Putin's power is not boundless. Okay, so again, it shows the idea that now now you're backing openly neo-Nazis. 
which by the way, that's already what's happening with Azov, but just from the narrative side of it, because they're fighting Putin. So what does it show you? That the only thing they care about, like the clip we played in the beginning, is a political agenda against Putin and Russia. That's it. Just like with Syria, they don't care who they're, they they will work with the worst of the worst to start to achieve an end at the to the detriment of their enemy. The moderate rebels. I mean, how many times do we need to see this? I mean, Hujadeen, it's all right in front of us. And all we get is this screeching small minority of people in the inner circle that yell that you're all crazy and conspiracy theory. How does that still work? How do people still buy this? So he he thinks Putin's a tyrant. So I'm gonna be I'm a, I'm gonna I'm a fascist and <laughs> an open authoritarian fighting against a, a tyrant because I, I mean I, this just doesn't even this isn't logical. Ukrainian authorities quote did encourage us but did not provide weapons or equipment or instructions for the mission. So he's telling you on the record they yeah go into Russia, cross that red line of red lines and literally invade Russia and give them an excuse to do something which is probably the reason this is being done. Like, this is probably trying to coax them into taking some larger action, which I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I highly doubt that will happen. Russia has routinely shown themselves to not be stupid enough to take the clumsy bait of the U.S. government. But it says the Russian military said it would it routed the raiders with artillery and raid attacks, air, excuse me, air attacks that killed more than 70 of what it describes as Ukrainian nationalists on a sabotage mission designed to deflect attention from Russia's gains on the bombed out city of Bakhmut. Now, they're saying 70 died, and they're calling them all Ukrainian nationalists. So Russia seems to imply this has nothing to do with Russia. But, of course, that's how they would frame it. Described by the United States and based ADL as a Russian neo-Nazi, Kapustin's audacious cross-border raid has embarrassed the Kremlin, so they're framing it as, but also raises questions about the involvement of far-right Russian nationalists in Ukraine and how this might affect Western allies' readiness to supply Kiev with weapons. Right. Because it's only the concern of Russian Nazis that we're worried about. Not We don't care about all the Ukrainian Nazis that were proven, and I'm saying just using that facetiously, really. Neo-Nazis, fascists, whatever, the, the groups that we can see. I'll get into it more, very much more in a second. It's funny that that's the one, right? Maybe that'll slow down the weapons because Russian neo-Nazis are not present. Why? <laughs> What's that? Maybe it makes sense. Asked repeatedly about media reports that his fighters had used U.S. equipment on the raid, Equipment provided to allow Ukraine to defend itself against Russia's invasion. Kapustin declined to answer directly. Is that really what the equipment is for? I highly doubt it. U.S. officials said the West the, on Wednesday that they were looking into reports that U.S. vehicles were used inside Russian territory. <laughs> Did you love that? We're looking into reports. We're, we're thoroughly vetting the video and, 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 and images and on the ground media. And, you know, but we're, but we're, we're not sure. We're baffled. Which just becomes an indefinite, we don't know. Don't you love how that works? It's what they do everywhere. We're baffled, guys. We don't know what's causing this. We'll look into it and never come back. <laughs> so as, as you get the U.S. mantra these days. If we don't know, it's a no and it'll never be talked about again. It is no secret that this equipment is being used against our own military. And it is no secret for us that the direct and indirect involvement of Western countries in this conflict is growing by the day, says Russia. We are drawing the appropriate conclusions. I mean, what else do you want to say? I mean, it's obvious, and they're just playing stupid as usual. Well, here's something I think is really, really telling. Bellingcat, you know, the CIA cutout that it is, on February 15, 2019, was laying the narrative as a dutiful cutout would. 
They're doing what they, they were setting the narrative that Russia is influencing Nazism in Ukraine and that that's all then influencing the United States. And that's why it's all a Russian Nazi problem. That was always what this was about. And it includes January 6th, which I've talked about plenty of times. But it's all, it was always meant to frame Russia, blame Russia and you using the CIA Gronosov Battalion. So here, Bellingcap, in 2019, writes, Defend the white race. American extremists being cold. Interesting. Now, you can feel free to laugh out loud about how this narrative directly contradicts, I mean, verbatim, everything that even Bellingcat is saying today. Now, I'm not saying that they've just evolved the narrative. I'm saying they're now saying things that directly contradict that this ever happened. Why? Because the narrative changed. I don't know why this is still there, to be quite honest, but we've seen this happen, right? Before February 25th, there was a Nazi problem and everyone was aware of it. And suddenly it was like, you're wrong. Putin's lying. And then that got slowly rolled back into, well, kind of, but not really. Like, it's just so sad. These people are desperate to keep their jobs, apparently, in the media, I mean. But what this is showing you is that, one, these groups were doing exactly what they were. We are now saying that they were fighting to influence the world with the white race. They were that when they meshed with the government, that they didn't lose their national, their white supremacy ideology. In fact, quite the opposite. Literally says that in the article, except that's what they t- the belling cat will sell you're a liar today. It says newly uncovered evidence goes back to 2015, suggests that the Ukrainian white nationalist Azov movement has been systematically co-opting American white ring extremists to advance the former's own international agenda. Interesting. You mean 2015, back when the FBI was working with them? Or excuse me, that the that the uh, the, the military... Hold on, let me grab that. The, oh, I think I've got it right here somewhere. Nope. <laughs> I'll come back to these. You can see here, in Foreign Policy, which is the uh, Council on Foreign Relations publication... A Yahoo News report in January described a covert CIA training program for elite Ukrainian special operations, that's the Azov movement, the links in the, in the tweet, and other intelligence personnel that launched in 2015 by the Obama administration. And don't forget that Stoltenberg just literally admitted we've been there since 2014. They've been there long before that. But the reality should be that it, if you, the 2015 was when Obama began the, the work on, on, you know, it's all been building this entire time. And now we're supposed to pretend none of that actually happened. So if you know that they were training with them and they're saying this right now, how do you make that make sense? So Obama was knowingly working with Nazis? Yes. Or extremists, the same way they're working with moderate rebels. But now the narrative is different. It's just, it's sad. And if you, anybody out there reads this and has the the wherewithal to just stand back and go, maybe they're lying to me. This is the most obvious thing in history. It's right in front of us. They just they just decide to change the narrative and hope that you just don't look to co-op American right-wing extremists. Don't you see the overlap? Why wouldn't they be selling us that right now? They are. They're trying to push this vanilla ISIS. But the reason they've come so soft on the idea that it's influencing from Ukraine is because we've all been proving that the CIA is directly involved with Ukraine. But see, the reason they're selling, like right now, if they didn't have that connection, they would be freaking out about this. They'd be selling us on the idea that, see, 
all of the right wing are Nazis, all of them in this country, and they've always been influenced by Russia's influence in Ukraine. That's what they would be screaming. But now it's weird how they don't point this out, despite the fact that aren't they all wanting us to see their narrative that all of the right wing in this country are Nazis? That's what they want us to think. So why don't they point at this then? Because something shifted, right? In audio statements uncovered by Bellingcat in 2019, this agenda was summarized by the International Security of the Political Wing of Azov, the National Corps, as, quote, world conservative revolution aimed to, quote, defend the white race. That's who your government is funding right now. These new findings are separate from the recently reported ties between Azov and American violent neo-Nazi group, the Rise Above Movement, and members of the American alt-right. Again, let's not forget, it's in this fax tweet as well, wherever that was, right here, that Newsweek wrote about this on January 1st, or excuse me, January 5th, 2022, telling you the same thing. So going forward multiple years, they're going, look, Ukraine's war is drawing more far right to, to fight against Russia. But it says, since 2014, Maidan Revolution, the government, military, and security forces have institutionalized in its ranks former militias, volunteer battalions linked to neo-Nazi ideology. Now, they want you to believe that once that happened, well, they, they put it behind them. At the very least, they blended in and not everybody else adopted that. But that's not true. And even Bellingcat, which I'll show you, like that explicitly says the opposite. But here's the main point, as you've seen, that Yuzumenko, who's writing this, who's considered an expert, Kuzmenko, expert, by the way, who also works with Bellingcat, writes, the movement has gone international on multiple fronts with known contacts in Germany's third path, rise above movement in America, and Casa, Casa Pound in Italy. So we know this. It's not up for debate. So when you realize that they're telling you that they have connections back then, they, this has always been the case. <clears throat> and don't forget <clears throat> how dumb it is that the Rise Above movement was literally emulating Azov for a reason with the same tiki torches and the same with the way they it's all meant to overlap because it was leading back there. Bellingcat has confirmed. Don't, and, but don't forget, Biden even just said on the record that the reason he decided to run for president was because of what happened in Charlottesville and because of what the Rise Above movement did and Vanguard America, which is now the Patriot Front. They don't want you to know. Bellingcat has confirmed that in 2016, in January, Azov, via its online podcast, was in contact with the late Andrew Wunschuk. Now, don't forget, we just showed you that, uh, that De Dennis uh, Nikitin, uh, or Dennis and Kapustin, was part of that, co-hosted this podcast with the Rise Above Movement, who is the guy standing here on the Ukraine side using a U.S. tank. Now, it says on the podcast, oh, and then it also says, an eminent member, this Andrew guy, of the American neo-Nazi group Autumn Waffen Division. All of these things tie back together, all of them. The Autumn Waffen Division, all the rest, I've gone through these extensively and shown you direct ties back to Azov Movement, which is funded by the CIA. Which I'll come to that in a minute and show you the document for those that haven't seen it. On the podcast, Oshina, Osh, uh, Wunshuk discussed issues facing Americans that wanted to join Azov and expressed interest in learning methods of attracting youth to nationalism in America. He was encouraged to try to join, join Azov. Evidence uncovered by Bellingcat points to recent contacts between the National Corps, that's Azov Movement, the political wing, and alleged former U.S. armed service members who are currently in Ukraine. Now, what I think this was about, and still what they're trying to do, is try, like the Patriot Front point I kind of make, is that I feel like they want to make this argument that there's a secret underbelly in all of the military, which is all right wing, they want you to think, when it matters, that are all Nazis. And all of that is because of the Azov movement that's being fun 
you know, basically stemming from the Russian influence and that that is why this is happening. Now, that's, I'm not just saying that. That's been, I've proven that on the show. There's been obvious links and ties. They've tried to make that connection many times. Whitney and I have talked about it. And it's falling very flimsy on this one group they want to make an argument about. They had few people in Donbass. That's it. But we're also going to get into the reality of U.S. government's history with bringing Nazis into this country. And think it's very hypocritical of them to go, you guys are the bad guys. But it says the International Secretary of the National Corps, responsible for Azov's global strategy, which again is specifically Olenia Semenka. This is the FBI document pointing out the fact that they work with Germany, Ukraine, Italy, and the United States, and that she is the leader of the National Corps, and that, yes, that they are very neo-Nazi, even though at this time they were saying that wasn't true. It says that she told Bellingcat that the movement sought, quote, all political potential sympathizers and potential lobbyists in the United States and hoped to establish contacts in the American military. See my point? Why wouldn't this be discussed right now? If this is the reality that they wanted you to think, and you'll find this everywhere before the invasion, is it, were they lying about it then? And if not, then why don't they point at this? Doesn't this seem like a huge point to make that right now the Azov movement is trying to infiltrate the American military? Well, no, because they're working with them now. And they always have, the point has never stopped, but they, on the record, became this very intermersed concept. They stopped trying to lay this groundwork, I think, because this narrative got messed up. Now, a lot of this is my opinion. But how else do you explain all of this? In late 2017, the U.S.-based American ally of the Azov movement, Countercurrents Publishing, described by the Southern Poverty Law Center as an epicenter of academic white nationalism, publishes statements from the Azov figure, Dennis Nikitin, that urged Westerners to counter violent immigrants who team up to beat defenseless whites, especially in Western Europe. That's this guy here, pretending not to be what he is. It says, Nikitin reportedly urged his audience to carry weapons of self-defense and not be too law-abiding. Newly uncovered statements by a senior law enforcement official in Ukraine, former Azov fighter and deputy head of Kiev, Kiev region police, uh, Serhii Bonadarenko, who I believe we've mentioned before, suggest that incorporation of the Azov regiment into the National Guard of Ukraine didn't affect the far-right ideology espoused by the former's members and instead allowed Azov to obtain sophisticated weaponry and build their own political party. Oops, that's a little bit politically inconvenient, isn't it? Aren't we the one, aren't, isn't it the entirety of the corporate media the ones that are bleeding about the fact that, well, they, you're conspiracy theorists, that they were you know, problematic history, but when they folded into the middle, they went away. No, it didn't. You can, I mean, it's, your eyes will prove that to you today, but here is one of the groups that are trying to sell you that lie today where they're telling you the opposite before the invasion, that they are very clearly the same thing. In October 2018, an FBI criminal complaint, which is the one we're pointing out there, unsealed in connection with the arrest of members of the violent neo-Nazi group Rise Above Movement, who again is the group that marched through Charlottesville, that was the impetus for the entire right-winger Nazis campaign. And that group is the international arm of the Azov movement, which is directly tied to the CIA, which again, I'll come back to. Well, here, I mean, why don't I just do this since I keep mentioning that? And for those that might not want to wait, watch this entire show. It's an important one. But you have the document right here you can look through for yourself directly from CIA.gov that proves to you that the Organization for Ukrainian Nationalists and specifically ZPUHVR and the 
appointment of Michael Abed, who is a Nazi war criminal, not a neo-Nazi, but a Nazi war criminal who they saved, they rescued, which makes perfect sense, right? The U.S. government rescued Will more in a moment and set him up in a media company in New York called Prologue. Mr. Michael Abed, president of Prologue, which, by the way, was set up in New York as well as Ukraine. Ask yourself why the U.S. government, right after the war, for the most part, or you know, years after the war, would assign a Nazi to run a media company in New York. Does that sound like what would make sense from a group that just fought the bad Nazis? Doesn't make sense, does it? Either way, the point is you can read this. I went over this extensively in that work there, and you can see for yourself that this is about creating a fascist entity to fight the Soviet Union. It's not up for debate. And the point was, it's not just Azov. Documents prove the CIA has been cultivating fascism in Ukraine since at least 1948. To so the point is that, and, and that going back to that tweet we're showing, or rather the, the, the article, which you can read for yourself, or here, I got it right here, where they show you that they, that's the international arm. So I feel like there's no further explanation needed right there. There's plenty more to get into, but the idea that you can prove that the, the group that was used and marched in a, in a weirdly exact way like they did in, in, the, in the Azov movement, which by the way, let's, I see this is so interesting to get into. Don't forget that the Maidan Square was a false flag, as even as plenty have pointed out over the years with evidence and have even admitted to on the record that the media wants to ignore. So if you, can, if you know that and know that then the Azov movement was cultivated from that point forward into what it is today, you can see that there's obvious funding from before that what, at the point when they then got prominent, still being backed by the U.S. government. Then the Rise Above movement, exact, just like their actions, takes a march through Charlottesville, and that then becomes the beginning for this entire white supremacy march and focus on the right wing side. And again, then you could show the document that shows that they funded it from the very beginning. It's, just, it's, it's impossible to miss. Members of the Rise Above movement who were charged in the U.S. in connection with violence at political rallies, including in Charlottesville, traveled to Ukraine in 2018 to meet key figures of the movement. Per the complaint, members of the Azov Regiment, or movement, the military branch of the larger Azov movement, or excuse me, see, they, they, see this is exactly what I've been saying the whole time. That's supposed to be fake news in the current conversation. Because the regiment is what they say stopped, then it went away. It's not true. The Azov movement is what happened after it dissolved because it became an entire military movement that runs the military and the government here. They have participated in training and radicalized United States-based white supremacy organizations. Olinka Semenka, the international secretary for the National Corps. Semenka acknowledged contacts with the American white supremacy group and said that the Rise Above Movement members came to Ukraine to learn our ways, and they showed interest in learning how to create youth forces in the ways Azov has. That is the CIA entity acknowledging training the group that opened the conversation in Charlottesville. Bellingcat has established that the Rise Above member Movement members were not the only American extremists who communicated with Azov. Right. This is what we keep talking about. Now, why isn't that a prominent conversation today? The Azov Movement's podcast. The podcast and its former head, Mikhail, however you pronounce that, who is reportedly a Russian neo-Nazi, he relocated to Ukraine from Russia in 2014, were mentioned on the official site of the Azov Regiment's press service. So now we have multiple examples of Russian Nazis who flee to Ukraine because they're welcome there. But let's continue pretending that the opposite is happening. We now know that the American interviewed on the Azov podcast in 2016 was Andrew Wunschuk, an eminent member of the Autumn Waffen Division. 
the same podcast that this guy was on, Kevin De- De- uh, Dennis Kapustin. It says the ideologies are quite clear. They're against Zionism, against neo-Bolsheviks, Bolsheviks, and against the way everything works right now. The host of the Azov Movement, Right Above Movement podcast says, in regard to what th- what we're talking about. So they're telling you what they think. Their t- Bellingcat is publishing what they think. We want to spread the white race around the world. We are, we're against Zionism, which they would tell you means anti-Semitism, which is stupid, but that's what they would say today. So the point is that there's this is the group that we tell you that it is. And yet right now that group is being funded by Israel. That group is being funded by all sorts of overlapping Jewish concepts, even though they say that, that these are, is, even though right now they're telling you that they are neo-Nazis, that are against Zionism. How do you make sense of that? Like, let's not forget. Grab that again. Let's see. Dang it, I always forget where to find that. Oh, here, right there. Popped up first this time. But back in 2018, Israel's population spoke up and said, why are you arming the Azov movement? A group of more than 40 human rights activists have filed a petition with with the Israeli arms exports to Ukraine in 2018, guys, before all this. So there was already Israeli weapons flowing into the hands of these people. They argue that these weapons serve forces that openly espouse neo-Nazi ideology, and that's the Azov militia. (laughs) It is so stupid. So the point is that they've all been doing so. Let's not forget that Zelensky is Jewish, that the uh, Kolomoisky who is the finance cheap backing for the Azov movement is, is Jewish and as well as the head of the Jewish council, at least he was. None of that is, means anything other than the fact that it contradicts what they're telling us. And obviously it does not, it makes no sense for that to be working alongside open neo-Nazi groups unless we're being lied to about what's really going on. It's pretty crazy. I think that was it in general. There's a lot more in here you can look at. <clears throat> now, going forward, there was a podcast, which, by the way, I, I, I saw I misread this. I read earlier, I saw it, it was like, oh, it just came out. A podcast Whitney Webb did with RFK Jr. back on March 15, 2022, was posted today. And I saw that. And this is in regard to this article, the same discussion, which, by the way, I should have included anyway, because this is a really important overlap. To, this is everything we're talking about. Whitney wrote this for The Last American Vagabond. March 2nd, 2022, Ukraine and the new Al-Qaeda. That's where actually that's where a lot of this information comes from. The idea that we can show in here, the links are in here anyway, the, the same stuff that we just talked about, the link to the foreign policy article, the FBI, the overlap, and then the Syria overlap as well. This is the same game. We are watching the same thing play out. Now, here's Slow Newsday points something out. Now, I haven't even gotten into this. This whole, this whole, I mean, we just pointed out the U.S. government's anti-Semitism focus all of a sudden again. The point is all of a sudden you see this overwhelming focus on Roger Waters. And it's so ignorant. I mean, it's not ignorant. It's willful deception. The idea that, they're, that, that they don't know what he's doing. That he's quite literally playing a role that's been seen before. As he says, it's performing a song from a 1982 rock opera, The Wall, which is one of the songs coming from the entire the album, The Pink Floyd. It's so stupid. The point is, if you haven't seen it, he dresses up like a Nazi, like literal Nazi and all the red stuff, and he shoots, and it's, it's a character. It, it, so there's one of two things happening. People that are pretending he's being anti-Semitic are either willfully misrepresenting this because they, don't, they hate him because he's willingness to speak out about other things, 
or they're too stupid to do the smallest amount of due diligence to realize that it's a character that's been played before and that it has nothing to do with whether he believes in it. It's a character from the rock opera and it has to overlap. Like, look, think about this re- reality we're in today where certain people can, you know, pretend it's artistic or do whatever angle you want to take and do whatever they want. Pretend, dress up like a Nazi and be like, oh, it's an art installation. But if you're someone perceived to be right wing or perceived to be anti establishment whatever, and you just simply say the word, you point at something, or let's just say I dress up like it to make a point. And I'm not saying I, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm going, I hate Nazis, but I'm going to do this to act in a play. I'm just being hypothetical. They would say you're, na- you're a racist because you dressed up like that. So it's this weird subjective appliance to this where you are bad, but you're not because of how I subjectively feel about what I think you think. I mean, we are literally been dragged back into a kindergarten mentality for most people that follow the narrative, most two-party paradigm people. My point, though, is that he is not in any way representing any form of anti-Semitism, or even if you think that's what that might be. But yet you saw this endless procession of people coming out because that was the popular thing in the moment to say, I'm so disgusted by his anti-Semitism, even to the point to where the German government's now investigating him. This is, how, this is how far away we are from where we think we are for most people. We don't live in the world we think we do. But Slow News Day points this out. Boy, it sure is a good thing everyone's mad at Roger Waters for performing a song from his rock opera, The Wall. Glad to know Hollywood and ADL have their priorities straight. And just simply showing all these different images, as you can see for yourself, of all sorts of different examples of Azov movement literally showing that same flag. It's not a joke. You got, the, you got the black sun, also a Nazi symbol. All these different things they're using. And all of these you can show and tie back to the Azov movement. And plenty of other examples that are just endless. Two minutes. CNN even accidentally caught a Sig Heil uh, salute when they were taking over a city. I mean, it's just, and it's embarrassing they pretend this isn't exactly what it looks like. But this guy jumps up and says, is this proof that the U.S. is a Nazi country? Showing an image of, of Nazis in the United States. How do you distinguish your answer from what you just did referring to Ukraine? Well, Primo Radical says, well, the difference is the neo-Nazis in your picture weren't armed and trained by the CIA to commit genocide. <laughs> Spoon-feeding the truth, right? Spoon-feeding basic logic. And they aren't an official part of the U.S. military like the Azov Battalion is. Well, I wouldn't say they're official part unless you see it, you know, the way that I believe the reality is. But ultimately, on the record that they're really just being funded, but even then, that they circumvent their own laws to be able to still fund them right now. It's technically illegal. U.S. US legislation passed in 2018 makes it illegal for the Azov movement to get funds from the U.S., even if it's indirectly. They just don't care, because it shows you that they're rampantly lawless. They don't care about even their own laws. They're insofar as they apply to you is how they care about it. But you see, this is such a dishonest thing to do. Here's a picture of a Nazi from way back when in the country. So we're all Nazis? Well, what you're literally showing here is a current iteration of right now people acting on behalf of the United States in Ukraine. Right? But the main, this is the best point. The people that we're pointing at are funded by the U.S. government. Doesn't that matter? Well, here's here's what Steve said. Oh, it's the next one. In response to that, he said the United States, through Operation Paperclip, successfully absorbed dozens of key Nazi officers, scientists, engineers, and technicians. It's a simple fact. You can look it up. One would go on to head NASA. One would be the first secretary general of the U.N. One of the main funders of the op gave the U.S. two presidents. Now, at one point, this was much more difficult to talk about, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's sort of like the idea of, of questioning the validity of the Holocaust is something that we're, we're all supposed to shy away from. 
I'm not even to say, I'm not even to get into certain opinions. I mean, I, I honestly, it's something that is interesting because I find it very telling when any topic is supposed to just be completely ignored or any words are supposed to be completely avoided. Not to say that I don't also understand how certain words can be and so whatever, but the point is that to, to argue that it's just never, that's the one you're not supposed, that's very strange to me. But in any case, the point is that it's this topic to realize, wait a minute, you know, so what really happened here? Right. I've often pointed this out about the, the, the funding from these from the, the elitist families, both sides of the war, the idea that eugenics, not the idea, the fact that eugenics was born in the United States and then further developed by the Nazis. But then when it got very seen as what it is, they just stepped back a little bit, changed the name. And now you're seeing them spe- step back out of the shadows right now, like bringing us back to feudalism, as I saw someone frame it as on Twitter. Certainly the case. But what you begin to realize is, well, they, they, they worked with Dr. Ishii from Japan. They worked with all of the people that we thought as Americans they were fighting to stop. Right. So, that, yeah, they, they, they so we're told, stopped Hitler, beside the fact that you can literally watch a documentary on the History Channel that shows that he didn't die when they told us it did. But fake news, though. But the, the, the main point is that all of the people that we were told, like the people doing the disgusting research, all the stuff that was put in front of Americans, like, look at what they're doing. Look at how they're testing on people. Look at the, the eugenics programs and all the stuff that they were telling us was why we had to stop them. They absorbed. As I keep showing you, why do you think that means good guy? As we just talked about, I made that clip, that uh, meme from Norm MacDonald, where he says, you know, well, look, it's a, what, what a coincidence. It turns out that every, every war in history was won by the good guys. What a coincidence. And then the main point is, well, the people who win write the history, guys. So when we're framing yourselves as the good guys over and over and over, I want to ask if that's even the case. And I think we're beginning to see that's not the case. And none of these people are inherently altruistic in any government. But the fact that they stuck these people in these positions, it shows you. And then you can go, wait a minute. The, the U.S. government was working alongside Osama bin Laden. Washington Post called him a warrior of peace in the 60s, back before, and then became the biggest bad guy ever. Or even before that, oh, they worked with, they worked with Saddam Hussein. They gave him weapons to, get, to fight Iran and then suddenly became the biggest boogeyman in history. It's very odd how the U.S. government seems to work with all the big bad guys of history until moments later they no longer do. What does that, does that tell you something? Don't, this should not be an indictment of the American people, guys. This is an indictment of the government that has lied to us for centuries, or excuse me, for decades. So the point after this and this was just, you know, if you make sure you watch this to understand how long far this goes back, there's a great post from 21st Century Wire. I've also actually reached out to, to Patrick Henningsen, which, by the way, we should have hooked up a long time ago to come on for an interview to talk about this in particular, but plenty of other things. They do great work over here. Revealed how America's CIA merged with Nazi intelligence. Very, very telling, isn't it? There's something going, there's something much more important here. And I think we're seeing that our entire history, and we've been lied to, right? And then ultimately, this, there's more going on. And if you, whether you want to be as clumsy about it and just be like, that's why they're working with Nazis today, I don't think it's as simple as that. I think it's simply that these people have no morals or integrity, that they don't care, that they are trying to achieve maybe something they argue would be good for humanity. I don't, even then, I, I push back on that. That it's this classic eugenics mindset. The idea that some people shouldn't exist, which is exact that was born in the United States, but we only associate that today with the Nazi party. So here we are watching this reality or seeing it covered up and then ultimately just working with anybody that would achieve the ends they're trying to achieve. It doesn't mean only Nazis. 
You see them working with moderate rebels in Syria. You see them working with, you know, I mean, you can go to South America and talk about, you know, there's, I mean, there's so many examples. The Contra conversation. I mean, there's so many examples. Pinochet of them working with people that are the worst of the worst because it gives them power over other people. Because they're morally ambiguous and they can abuse that because they are too. We're here. I want to watch just a part of this. This is a uh, this is a uh, documentary, or rather, just a, a a report. Again, going all the way back to um, uh, Wallace, who seemed to be doing real journalism back in the day. Nineteen eighty two special report, CIA Nazi connection. Now this this goes over exactly what we were discussing there the 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 kind of shuttling over of all these Nazis into the United States and incorporating them with the government, sort of like Michael Olabed from in the 60s. Same thing we're talking about. Guys, it's the same exact time frame. Michael Olabed was brought over. He, Michael Olabed was literally in a prison in Poland as a Nazi war criminal and about to put to death until the U.S. government saved him. So here is the beginning of this video. And we need to understand... That I think this is huge implications for what they're capable of now, what they're doing now. Close to 200,000 Americans lost their lives fighting the Nazis in World War II. And yet, hundreds of those Nazis and their collaborators eventually wound up living comfortably here in the United States, becoming U.S. citizens. How did it happen? That is the story we shall tell in The Nazi Connection, a story you have never heard till now of how highly placed U.S. officials, despite the express orders of two presidents of the United States, invited Nazi collaborators, killers, to these shores to trade what they knew about the Soviet Union for sanctuary here. Several hundred Nazi collaborators from Eastern Europe and Russia were smuggled into the United States for intelligence purposes. Smuggled by whom? State Department intelligence, specifically the Office of Policy Coordination. It was the first covert spy agency set up in the United States. It predated the CIA by several months. Who is this man making these charges, and what gives him the right to say what he has just said? His name is John Loftus. And- just so it's clear, I said it a moment ago, but don't miss that overlap there. We're talking about the same... Th- this is this conversation. What they're telling you is this conversation right here. That's this predates it by a couple years. This, this is, before, in 1948, it was still the OSS. It wasn't having become the CIA yet. The point is that this is what they're talking about, right? You can see the document in 1966 where they brought him over. This is one of example of what they're discussing. And this was the beginning of the Azov movement direction. Years, he was a prosecutor with the Office of Special Investigations in the Department of Justice responsible for weeding Nazis and Nazi collaborators out of the United States. His security clearance went three levels above top secret. But this young Irish Catholic attorney, now in private practice in Boston, has decided that his conscience demands that he bring to light what he says remained for too long. A now what, what, oh, dark and sinister top secret. What's interesting, though, is the time frame, right? So this, would, this is just my opinion, but it would seem to suggest that there was somebody in the government during this time frame, who was president at this point? Was it JFK? I forget. But the point is that somebody was seemingly trying to stop this or suss it out. 
which does seem to show you that throughout history there has been vying factions, and I think we're seeing that happen today. We had one unit of the government out trying to prosecute the Nazis and other units of the government trying to secrete the information. We later established that the files pertaining to the Nazi immigration had been withheld from Congress, from the courts, from the CIA, and from the local agents of the Immigration Service. Didn't President Roosevelt, didn't President Truman say specifically that war criminals were not to be brought into the country? That's absolutely true. And Jimmy Carter went even further in 1980 when he said that any Nazi war criminal who had gotten into the United States should be rooted out. The world must never forget the lessons of the Holocaust. That is exactly the reason why, after 40 years of government inaction, I set up a special unit in the Department of Justice to root out Nazi war criminals who may be in hiding in the United States. That was... Now, to be clear, what, what I was thinking about when I said JFK was the 66th date from the Operation Paper or Operation Work of Son of a Gun, the, uh, uh, Project Aerodynamic, <laughs> conflating that with Paperclip, which I've, who, who's president 66? Put in the chat for me. But in this case, either way, so the point would be that suggestive of which Carter, by the way, is interesting. There's plenty of people can always say about every president, but ultimately that there was examples of him going on to kind of like fight for, you know, free election processes and so on. But it's interesting that clearly somebody was at least on the surface trying to do this. You know, you wonder what they did because of that. The unit John Loftus worked for, a unit that is still trying to denaturalize and or deport Nazi war criminals living in the United States. We asked Loftus who it was who had run the old OPC, the Office of Policy Coordination, that was responsible for bringing Nazi collaborators into the United States. A man by the name of Frank Wisner. He was a, a former intelligence operator during World War II. With the OSS? That's correct. His boss was Alan Dulles in Germany. The Office of Strategic Services, was it called? Yes, it was. Was there nobody in the State Department at a higher level who knew what was going on and, and okayed it? Did Frank Wisner have no boss? There were three men who principally were Eisenhower's representative for Cold War affairs during the early 50s. C.D. Jackson, Undersecretary of H.E.W. Nelson Rockefeller, and Vice President Richard Nixon. Would they have known that former Nazi war criminals were being employed by U.S. military intelligence and were being invited into the country, given U.S. citizenship, despite what they had done? I read some classified information that indicated that a number of these programs were approved at the highest levels. Whether and, and, don't, for, and don't forget that you know, Nixon went on to be president. So here's an example of how you can see that people go along to get along, you know, that they will do the thing they need. So you get rewarded for doing the wrong thing in this society, right? You lie about Iraq, but you get promoted. You tell the truth, well, you get regarded as a conspiracy theorist, even as you get proven right. Richard Nixon, the late Nelson Rockefeller, and the late C.D. Jackson, former publisher of Time Life, whether they knew is still an open question. But if they didn't know, then they too were being lied to, as was the case with the Congress later on. The story begins here, when the Nazis invaded the Soviet Union in 1941. Just a few months after the invasion began, the Nazis had captured huge tracts of territory that extended from the Ukraine to Belarus. 
The Yellow Russia was to be the Nazis' highway to Moscow. Tell me that's not ridiculous. Tell me that it's not absurdly on the nose that this just so happens to be the exact same field of war, at least in the beginning. I mean, I'm not saying that you, it could just be coincidence, but I mean, come on. If we are starting to piece this together and realize that there are more or playing out there that have pieced it together a long time ago, that there is more connection here of why they were working with these people behind the scenes, not necessarily from a U.S. centric position, because clearly there were some people involved in the government that didn't want this, but from a international non, you know, a, a, a supranational concept that we're clearly trying to achieve the same stuff as they're seemingly trying to achieve today. At first, the Nazis were welcomed as liberators by the people, scarred by the purges of Stalin. But that changed when the Einsatzgruppen, the Nazi mobile killing squads, entered. These units recruited collaborators from among the Soviet people to massacre hundreds of thousands of civilians. The Russian collaborators with the Nazis served so faithfully and so well that the Germans made the collaborators into their own SS division known as the Belarus SS. We're talking about the leaders of an SS division that fought against Americans and the leaders of a Nazi puppet government in Belarusia that by the end of the war had exterminated 25% of their civilian population, including nearly all of the country's Jewish population, some three quarters of a million Jews. I just... and, and what's interesting is that, that that becomes the focus, which of course, if people die, that's important, right? But what's interesting is there's a lot of other people that also got ethnically cleansed in there and killed. Right. Like he just said, there's a, that, that was a part of what happened, at least in that location. So it's, it's just interesting that some things get kind of I, I think there's more overlap to what we're seeing take place today in that country than we realize. And have lots of, has a lot to do. Like, for instance, the Donbass conversation and why they're focused on those specific people and why they're, you know, their ethnic issues, they're, they're being ethnically cleansed. That's what it is. I decided to pick one of the regions of Belarusia and see if we could find how many Nazi officials from that region were in the country. All of them. Wow. They knew that the entire Nazi government of Belarusia, the president, the vice presidents, cabinet ministers, governors, mayors, police chiefs, were all living in America. Now, how, now, you know why that makes sense? Because that means that the American government was involved with setting up the puppet government that was there. At least, to my opinion, would be right. That, that's how you see this play out. The Guaidos of the world, except today, they get cast aside. But, you know, the point is that these people were a puppet government. And so if we're supposed to pretend that they were fighting, that why did they end up in the United States? They didn't have any value, as the dangerous Nazi scientists did to their sick, direct, disgusted, uh, excuse me, depraved agenda. Wanting to know their, I mean, let's not forget that the biosecurity thing we're working through right now, that all stems back to, bio, to Dr. Ishii's research. His bio manipulation on human bodies and it's horrific stuff, but that's that's the that became the foundation for their bio manipulation platform. They knew that. Who's they? The FBI, Army Counterintelligence, <laughs> Army Foreign Intelligence, the Department of State. They knew and they recruited them because they were Nazis. As early as 1946, the major espionage services of the United States and the Soviet Union were engaged in a clandestine conflict. The demand for intelligence was so great that a seller's market sprang up. Hundreds of former Nazis and Nazi collaborators found employment in one intelligence service or another. A few of the boldest worked for both sides. According to Loftus, emigres with intimate, if dated, knowledge of Eastern Europe 
and former Nazi intelligence officers competed to peddle fabricated reports to any intelligence service gullible enough to buy them. Jeez. And OPC was a willing buyer. But I still want to make this clear. Did U.S. military intelligence know the kind of people they were bringing in? Beyond a shadow of a doubt. Shortly after being apprised of what Loftus had learned, Alan Ryan, head of the office Loftus worked in, sent a top-secret report in October 1980 to then-Attorney General Benjamin Civiletti, saying that this was the single most important matter his office was engaged in. That report said, quote, It should be apparent that the matters discussed in this report are extremely sensitive, both because of the number of Belarusian Nazis who entered this country and the extent to which U.S. government agencies apparently assisted that entry, possibly in violation of the law. See, it's interesting how you frame those yellow Russian Nazis, right? So because they're from the occupied area that was, you know, Soviet Union. Isn't that strange? But the point is that they're, it's just interesting how this all frames back to today. In any case, I, I mean, I don't want I could play this entire thing. It's super interesting, which you should watch. One side note, by the way, I can't stand how all these platforms, like Wazi Digital, Hayziaka News down there, neither of them had anything to do with the creation of this document or this video. So it's just kind of sad that we're, everyone's jamming their own. Their, look, I'm the one since I reposted this old video. God, man, it makes me never want to look at Hijack News ever again. Or I don't even know what it is. But, you know, like, why would you do that? So you get credit for what, posting the video that somebody else made a long time ago? Oh, Belorussian, excuse me. Thank you. Belorussian Nazis. But so either way, same point, though, you know. Anyway, I just, that just drives me crazy. I quit, was unable to find a version of this anywhere that didn't have the Wazi Digital. I didn't even notice this. somebody added since then this Hyziaka News part at the bottom. It's just frustrating. But let's go back. Again, make sure you support 21st Century Wire. It takes, you know, it's most people are afraid to talk about some of these topics. So before we move forward, I wanted to mention something I. I floated the other day and which is ultimately what i see this as we before we get into the next part of this which is the whole you know all part of the vanilla isis psyop really but really the, the manipulation of what they say is happening in this country is the idea of what we coined as as extremist seeding like social media planting is ultimately what we're seeing is that people are like i keep seeing all this weird social media stuff i'm not even sure how to place it just yet but that I'm seeing like a lot of people I talk to where you get these weird pop-ups on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, where you're looking at something, you know, a study, a peer-reviewed study about something that challenges the narrative. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, pops up with some ridiculous, something that we would be like, that's stupid. But that they would say, that's what we think. You see what I'm saying? I'm trying to think of an example, like just something ridiculous, something that's, you know, some, you know, by, I don't know, just something that is outside Something that, from my perspective, you would know, I would be like, well, that seems unverified or that seems ridiculous, but it's what they're suggesting for you. Now, that's not what they would say because they, they're fighting fake news and hate speech and whatever else, but they're doing that. I think it's because they're trying to create a trail a tra- where you can digitally show, look, they're being radicalized. But even if you do end up being radicalized, whatever that would mean in that sense, if it's not, I, not real, is essentially them creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. Your fake news is radicalizing people as they see the fake news that then leads you down the next rabbit hole. Isn't that very interesting? Now, if we have time today, I'm going to touch on the, the BBC disinformation thing. I just keep pushing it off because it's not as important as the rest of this, but it doesn't look like I'm going to have time. But either way, 
I see this happening. So let me know what you guys are seeing out there about whether you're getting these weird suggestive posts or pop-ups or different things that are like seemingly trying to drive you into the more subjective, assumptive discussions as you're looking at stuff that you can prove. I think it's very, very telling. Now, let's talk. Looks like with time, I'm probably going to... Let's see if I can't just rattle off the rest of this within the last 15 minutes, but I wanted to get into this discussion. As Trent Steele points out, Instagram is making a big point of telling everyone this Atlantic headline, white supremacy is now a multi-racial movement, is fake news. Well, to be fair, it does appear to be a fake image. But his point, here's the real headline. So he kind of makes it sound like, (laughs) it's interesting. I think maybe he might have been fooled at first, we'll see. But either way, it says, this is the real headline. Latinos can be white supremacists. So it's basically the same argument. He says the line between satire and reality has blurred to the point of functional non-existence. With that last line, it does seem like he's very aware that it wasn't a real image. The point, though, is that they're like, that's not real without the context, which is that it's not a real title. But the topic is very, very real. As he points out, here's another one from 2021. Understanding multiracial whiteness and Trump supporters. Like, this is so embarrassing. No one is suggesting that there's not such a thing as white supremacy or black supremacy or Jewish supremacy or Asian supremacy. Any number, it's, it exists everywhere, guys. It's amazing that one's allowed to be said all the time and one's a, a shush, hush word, but not allowed to say out loud. The reality is this is stupid. This is them bending the narrative to make it fit what they want in front of what's happening. Latinos can be white supremacists. Like, okay, let, let's add, what is the core point here? White supremacy literally means the ideology which holds that white race is superior to all others. Now, I'm sure that's the new version. It's it's probably been edited 40 times in the last six months, but either way, still works for the point. So what they're telling us with this article is that Latinos, any number, Hispanics, or whatever the term that's supposed to be used today, it shouldn't matter as long as you're not trying to be insulting. That's how I always put it is that they're telling you that Latinos, some of them anyway, believe that the white race is superior to them and all others. Now, look, I'm not going to say it's impossible that somebody could be of another race and, and be trained to think that, or just somehow by whatever, find come to that conclusion. But are we really pretending this is a problem, like a rampant, rising problem? That somehow all of these Hispanics and everywhere, or rather the white supremacy movement is so powerful that we're now, people that are white are now influencing people to think this. I just think this is so stupid at its core. And again, hear me on this again and again. It does not mean that there's not racists or white supremacists or other extremists of all colors. Of course there are. So here is the one of the posts just on the uh, uh, whatever this is. I don't even know. This is on Reddit. I, I can't try to look at what the what the community is. Anyway, this is where it looks like one place where it came from. I, this, I, this looks like the first one where it, it doesn't seem to say that it's fake. So people kind of just ran with it, which, again, that's that's on you. If you don't do your due diligence and do reverse image searches or check for these things, then you're you're the one that's being irresponsible. If you're sharing this and going, look at what just happened, which does happen all the time. But here's why this is not Oh, the next ones. Here's why the next ones show you that this doesn't even that aside from the fake image, which maybe was put out to hide this or maybe because they thought it was funny. Here is 2020. 
White supremacy is the most lethal threat to the U.S., according to the DHS. Whitney and I talked about this. They were the rising threat. We see it building, and we just don't know how to stop it. Remember that? That's what they were pointing at. All is stemming off of the fake march through Charlottesville that was stemmed from a CIA operation. Not to say that there weren't people involved in that that were actual racists, but it was not what we thought it was. It was made, it was created. And as always, these movements use actual people that are absolutely out of their minds. But the real point should be, why is your government funding and arming and working with those people? But they've been building this. Here's 2021, as he just showed you. Understanding multiracial whiteness? I don't even know how you make sense of that, other than if we frame it this way, then we can make sense of why what we're using. Like when we say that, uh, you know, the, the, one of the founders of Proud Boys, who is a Mexican person, who his last name was, oh, what's his name again? Ramirez, I forget now. In any case, the point is he's saying that that is still white supremacy because he's part of a group that we've labeled white supremacists. You, I can't find a single example of, of oh, well, God, I'll tip my tongue. Give me the name in the chat if you remember his name. It's, uh, God, it drives me crazy. Not the guy with the eye patch that just got arrested or just got put in prison for equally ridiculous reasons. Or the Oath Keep. No, the Proud Boys. Anyway, I'm just conflating all this. The point was that the guy was not a white person. And nowhere could you find examples of him saying the white race is better than everybody else. They just simply said because he is in a group that we have said are white supremacists, then for he is. And then they go backwardly and explain, well, that's why, see, even Mexicans can be white supremacists. That, that's silly. That's what they do everywhere else. Like, like, again, that stuff we see online today. You know, where somebody just decides that if you're saying certain things, therefore you are an anti-vaxxer. That makes you a very, very, very lowbrow dumb person. Certainly could be. And thank you, Enrique Torres. Thank you. Certainly could be that. Of course, it's possible. But to assume that somebody is maybe just entertaining other things or, you know, just assume they're not and they'll jump right to the idea that you're that makes it easy to dismiss whatever they say. That makes you a dumb person. And I don't mean that like that. It makes you an unintelligent person. You are choosing to side with narrative that you think you can stand by because it makes you feel better about yourself. And by the way, that doesn't even mean, let's just even say that you could be right. The point is, you don't know that you believe what you've already believed. You see new information and you go, "Uh oh, I see it aligns with this kind of thing. So I'm going to pretend it's not there. I just don't understand how anybody can be that willfully ignorant. They, I, they just don't care. But yes, yes, this is an actual headline. This was the image I used for today. Not a new article. This is also from 2021. White supremacy with a tan. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I'm like, do they really want this to be that stupid? Like that Pag, pa, uh, um, Patagonia video? It's it just like, they, do they want this to look the, as, as clownish as it would be framed by the other side? Maybe. Maybe, maybe that, because that does make sense in the two-party illusion. As long as we're fighting each other, they don't care. But my God, I mean, you you want to suffer this through and read some of these things. It's painful. It's exactly what you might expect. Trying to bend over backwards to make the argument that just because you're not white doesn't mean you can't be white supremacist, despite the fact that that is inherently contradictory to the, even the argument they're making. Because what they're they're not saying these are non-white people that have like espoused openly that the white race is way better than they are. These are people, they're just simply saying these are people that have got caught up in this, that are on these groups, that are working here, that are, and they're just saying, therefore, it's, it works for everybody. 
Oh, the guy was a, the guy shot people that wasn't white. Well, here he is on on Gab. So there you go. He's a white supremacist. Like, and I, you you guys know as well as I, that's not even a joke. That is actually the kind of argument, the level of logic being put forward by the top level journalists today. Here's an actual study showing you that he, science in the same conversation. Just because you're a scientist doesn't mean you're intelligent. Just because you're a scientist doesn't mean that you're not going to bend into whatever you can to make money or clout. Multicultural white supremacy in the subculture of the body. Man, this is everywhere. Now, you can look this up. It might it probably won't surprise you. First of all, I saw this guy's screenshot. Somebody shared this. And I had to find it, like always, to make sure it was real. This guy on May 23rd says white white nationalism, which, by the way, they've conflated now just like like being anti-Zionist. They conflate with anti-Semitism, which, again, anti-Semitism doesn't even mean what they say it does. In any case, white nationalism or specifically nationalism is not the same as racism or extremism. Now, white nationalism, that's stepping in that direction for sure. But the point here is that nationalism is being conflated because I think that they're desperate to make us only think that globalism is the way to go. But then you, when you talk about white nationalism, well, yeah, that's a racist concept. You're saying that only either I don't even I don't even know how they frame it. Either that you think only white countries are, are, are better or that, that only white people in certain countries. Like, I don't know. They, they make it whatever they want, it seems. But either way, what they're saying is it's an ideology, not a race, which is weird because I think what he means to say is that white supremacy Either way, he then goes on to say this. What is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, six times in one day. Just replying to all sorts of people. White supremacy, not ideology, not a race. Okay, why did he just wake up one day and decide to do that? I don't buy that. Not all white people are Nazis. Right? But then what he means, alternatively, is that not white people can be white supremacists or white uh, nationalists. And here, okay, oh, you know, here, this is funny. I didn't even catch that. White supremacy is an ideology, not a race. Okay, so here he is conflating white nationalism with white supremacy. It's not the same thing. Not even remotely. I would argue both are very clearly on the side of, of suprem- supremacy, arguing that your specifically white version of that is better than others. But either way, white supremacy is way further in the conversation. Anyway, getting down, missing the point. This is being spread over and over and over, and not just by this one guy. It's something that you'll see kind of popping up over and over and over, and everyone coining the same term. White nationalism is an ideology. Where is that coming from? And why does that become so prolific all at the same time, just over the last so many months? I think it's very clear. I think it's because what they're trying to build is this concept that it's, you know, just because you're not white doesn't mean you can't still be a white supremacist. And that really it's about an ideology. So now everybody on the right wing side is all of that ideology. And, you know, now the next argument will be, and maybe I bet you it's already been made, even if they don't even know it, now that they're on that side, they're part of the white supremacy. Okay, so really what you're saying is we get to choose who is, regardless of what you think and what you look like. (laughs) Cool. So you're just arbitrarily picking who you want to be racist. Good times. But that is how this plays out. And none of that is to say that there's not actually racists. And then you get this kind of idiocy where you get these inherently condescending videos from white women or just anybody who are singing you a song about how even though you don't think you are, you're still racist. So think about this, and I'll play it in a second. Think about this context in the larger picture here. 
So if what they're telling you is that this, this racist concept is it's an ideology. And whether you're white or not, you can still be part of it. And then this girl comes in and goes, but if you're white, you are no matter what. <laughs> okay, so explain for me how that's going to make sense to anybody outside of those who want to create a division. Are you So the argument is quite literally that you just are racist forever, no matter what, if you were born white? This is as stupid as saying women, women don't lie or trust all women or saying any number of ridiculous concepts, or in this case, that, that there's no such thing as a trans predator or no reality where there are trans people in bathrooms that are abusing the policy or that there's no grooming taking place in any of that. None of that is to say that that's the entire community, as I said, every single time. But if you're willing to argue that that's never happened and never has, you're ignoring all the reality of it. There's clearly examples in any category, in men and women and whatever you want to talk about, of people that abuse situations because they're predators. To pretend suddenly like it doesn't apply shows you that you're a bad person. Or rather that you're willing to ignore dangerous things to hurt children because you have an agenda. So back to this point, imagine how this makes sense to people and realize all it does is drive people who may be willing to try to understand that there is a level of racism in this country and that there is something that should be discussed away from even considering that it happens. Driving them to the point to where they think it's a fake story because all it is is political motivation. Right? It's hard to see it that way when you've got this kind of garbage flying in your face. But, I, but I'll say it's wrong. There is clearly something that needs to be discussed of how historically it's been a problem in this country as well as it's still existing today. But by no means is it what they're saying it is. If you're white, yes, you are racist, even if you think you're woke. We all benefit from oppression. Pretending you're not racist only makes racism grow. God, that's stupid. I mean, that is about as dumb as it gets. And what, so by singing it in a condescending manner, you think that's going to reach people? All that's going to do is get you patted on the head by people that think what you're doing is the right thing. So only one side of this. And on top of that, you're going to have a whole bunch of people on that same side go, well, you're racist too. So shut up. And she'll go, well, I am because I'm white. So you're self-deprecating on top of that. Are you racist? Do you hate black people? Do you hate other people than white? Well, she would say no, because she's the one telling you that you might be racist. So exactly. So the point is, by virtue of being white, you're racist forever. These are the kind of maniacs that are teaching kids this in school, just like all the other woke nonsense that's being spout and has nothing to do with a two-party narrative. All people in the two-party paradigm are lost, in my opinion. That's just one side of the illusion. But here is a couple of points I'll include. Vanilla ISIS is here. The CIA-constructed illusion meant to demonize Russia and justify war on you. These are just some other articles and shows I've done on this topic. Here's the one, The Patriot Front, January 6th, and the Vanilla ISIS PSYOP. Now here's Rachel Blevins pointing something out that I think is really important. I'll, I'll just play your clip first. This has to do with a video of Lindsey Graham openly saying that spending Russia, money to kill Russians is the best money he's ever spent. Now they're debating that he said that, but guess what? It was released by the Ukrainian side. <laughs> so I'll let you work that one out. When you think members of the U.S. government can't get any more shameless in their support of Ukraine, they always seem to find a way. And yes, I'm talking about Senator Lindsey Graham, who went all the way to Kiev to say this. Now you are free. Yes. And we will be. And the Russians are dying. It's the best money we've ever spent. That clip was released by the Ukrainian Presidential Press Service, and the response from Western media has been to argue that we don't know if it played out as it appears or if it was edited that way. So are they saying that the Ukrainian government isn't entirely trustworthy? 
Interesting. So Graham gleefully says, quote, the Russians are dying in one clip, which speaks for itself. And then in the next clip, he says, quote, it's the best money we've ever spent, which I can only imagine would refer to U.S. aid to Ukraine, considering the fact that he's literally sitting across the table from Zelensky and the U.S. Congress, which Graham is a member of, approved a historic $113 billion for the country last year alone. But anyway, Lindsay isn't the only one talking about U.S. foreign policy in Ukraine, because one of the architects of the 2014 Maidan coup, Victoria Newland, also spoke out this week and had this to say. And even as you plan for the counteroffensive, which we have been working on with you for some four or five months, we are already beginning our discussions uh, with the Ukrainian government and with friends in Kyiv both in the civilian side and on the military side, about Ukraine's long-term future. That's right. It appears that when she isn't handing out pastries to protesters or securing funding for neo-Nazis, Newland is making sure that Ukraine's counteroffensives are being planned by the U.S., which... Given how well that overhyped spring offensive worked out, I'm not sure that's something the U.S. would really want to take credit for. Uh, and, and then can consider that under in the in the conversation of what we just discussed of the Russian neo Nazis invading Russia. They're involved, guys. The U.S. government is well aware of what's going on. Of course, NATO just pushed the timeline back, insisting that now they're waiting for the NATO summit in July for the real offensive to begin. She also said that the U.S. plans to keep supporting Ukraine and believes that Kiev will become the engine of Europe's revitalization as it sets, quote, the democratic example for the whole world. And also on the topic of how do these people say these things with a straight face, we have U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. The whole world has seen how much Ukraine's armed forces have accomplished. And I have great confidence that they will continue to succeed. So what exactly are they succeeding at? Using the weapons and ammunition NATO sends them and then asking for more? Or is the goal, as Lindsey Graham said, to kill as many Russian forces as possible? Because that, coupled with the destruction of equipment, were the only victories that Secretary Austin was able to come up with. Sometimes when we have these conversations, it sounds like Ukraine is losing uh, on on this battlefield. That's not the case. Ukraine has inflicted significant casualties on on uh, on the Russian forces. They've t- they've destroyed an, an incredible amount of equipment. Speaking. Okay, so in case you missed that, when put to the question about whether or not they are succeeding the way they keep saying they are, his point in saying "see, they have succeeded" is that they've killed a lot of people and blown up a lot of equipment. So it's exactly what she's saying. They, without saying it, are admitting, which, by the way, we know if you watch this show, that the only goal was to mire Russia in this quagmire like they did with Syria, like they tried to do or they did in Afghanistan with the Soviet Union. Right. So it is a success. If you realize the success is using Ukrainians to the last man to drown Russia in this problem, even though it doesn't seem to be what's happening at all. That, it's just sad, isn't it?
of equipment, Kiev continues to demand F-16 fighter jets. And while the UK and the Netherlands have started a coalition to make that dream a reality, because Rishi Sunak is trying to maintain his weird bromance with Zelensky for some reason, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, is just the latest U.S. official to say that F-16s won't be a major game changer. F-16s, there's no magic weapons in war. Uh, and, and, and sometimes... Certain things uh, get labeled as, you know, this is going to be the magic weapon. There are no magic weapons. And F-16 is not, neither is anything else. And despite his decades-long career with the U.S. military, General Milley actually said the following with a straight face. Ukrainian resistance is not fueled merely by weaponry and manpower. It's fueled by the unbreakable spirit of freedom and democracy. <laughs> Yet I don't see God. the U.S. calling on their NATO allies to provide more spirit of freedom and democracy. When they talk about support for Ukraine, it's always about money, weapons, and supplies. But if you can believe it, that wasn't the most insane comment of the week. This was. This, this is a Ukrainian war. It is not a war between the United States and Russia. It's not a <laughs> war between NATO and Russia. This is a war between Ukraine and Russia, and we are supporting and supplying and help training and advising and assisting Ukraine. Well, what's stupid about that, first of all, is that that's not true. It's obvious they're involved. They have people on the ground. They're giving them money. They're giving them weapons. They're advising on how to use them. I mean, this is just splitting hairs at that point. That's absurd. But what really matters is how does Russia see it, right? In the context of what this means, right? Because if what we're talking about is, is, is whether Russia perceives this as a U.S. war against them and then acts accordingly, right? That's all we're really talking about. Because that would lead to something more severe. That's kind of why Biden said F-16s would be World War III, Buck, Joe, whatever he says, or, you know, what does he say? Jack or whatever. But the point is that then he went on and is arguably giving them to them. So it's just, it's just all narrative. The idea is that they believe that they're there on the behalf of the U.S. government, that what they're doing is, which I think is obvious, but regardless that they're acting as such. So it doesn't really matter. But it is not a direct conflict between the United States and Russia. So the U.S. government provides the money and support to prop up both Zelensky's government and the Ukrainian military in their fight against Russia. And officials and politicians alike from the U.S. celebrate the Russians that have been killed, yet they'll look at you straight in the face and tell you that you're crazy if you suggest that the U.S. is actively fighting a proxy war against Russia. And it's that kind of dangerous rhetoric that expects the public to abandon all basic logic that is something everyone should be talking about. If anything in this video resonated with you, be sure to like. Yeah, she's doing, Rachel Blevins has been around for a long time. She used to write for, I think, both anti-media and still, maybe still work, writes for the, the Free Thought Project? I forget. I, she, she'd been writing a lot in the independent media. Now she's working, I think, primarily for RT, but she's doing amazing work. She really is. She is and, and people will choose to dismiss what she says by, because of where they think she's working, despite the fact that what she's saying is easily verifiable for yourself if you care to do your own research. You know, the thing that used to be what we didn't do because we were bad, and now we're not supposed to do because if we do, we're bad. You know, same thing. But the reality of all this is very, very clear. Right. I mean, it's absurd to pretend that they're not completely involved and it's really splitting hairs at the end of the day anyway. And all of that is in your head. Right. Or the idea that we're fighting for freedom or, you know, how, how about the simple idea that you can show, as I've shown you before, Lindsey Graham also in the Ukraine speaking with the Azov movement and in 2017 telling you that our fight is your fight. But then saying that you're a conspiracy theorist for, for realizing that he's been involved this entire time. Our people and our 
І я, як президент, і як верховний головнокомандувач, хочу подякувати кожного з вас. I admire the fact that you will fight for your homeland. Your fight is our fight. 2017 will be the year of offense. All of us will go back to Washington and we will push the case against Russia. It's just so silly, man. The thing is that most average people don't even know that stuff is there. And as many times as we can play it, they never can see this work because it doesn't show up in suggestive videos. It doesn't show it's blocked and it's suppressed so they don't see it in their feed. And, you know, all this, it's the same stuff over and over. It's cult. We are in a very tightly controlled flow of information. This person points out what Maria Zakharova from uh, from Russia said in regard to Lindsey Graham saying that Lindsey Graham said with a satisfied smirk at a meeting with Zelensky, the Russians are dying and we've never spent money so well. Now, she just simply points out during the Nuremberg Tribunal, the Minister of Economics of Nazi Germany stated that sponsorship of the Third Reich also came from abroad and named two largest American corporations, Ford and General Motors. We were just talking about this. Now, of course, because Zakharova said it, it's fake news by default because people are stupid. You could argue that she might be trying to mislead you and ask why, but these are things you can look up for yourself. An unspoken deal was made with him, freedom in exchange for silence. We literally just saw Wallace telling you all this. Despite the protests of the Soviet representatives, he was released and lived to be 93 years old. Let me remind you that the embodiment of the American dream, the same legendary Henry Ford, was a holder of the Grand Cross of the Order of Merit of the German Eagle. His factories in Germany not only produced up to 70,000 trucks a year for the needs of the the workmark, or however you pronounce that, I forget what that term is, but also used the labor of prisoners, including Auschwitz for this, and the German icon of the Ottoman, you know, you get where this is going. You know, the Kodak company and its plant in Germany manufactured fuses for aerial bombs for the same stuff, the Coca-Cola plant. All these things we're supposed to pretend didn't happen. Whether you're just seeing profiteering of corporations deciding to decide on both sides of the war, or whether you realize there's something bigger than that going on. It's all there. And then you see this by Reuters in 2022. Remember this? Facebook and Instagram are going to temporarily allow calls for violence against Russians. Now, if I would have said this would be a post in 2020, you would have laughed at me. That you're going to see a post from Reuters and that Facebook and Instagram would literally come out and say, we're going to allow calls of violence against an ethnic group because X, Y, and Z. You would have thought that would be ridiculous. Not that you don't think that they're ridiculous, but that you just wouldn't think they would be able to say something so contradictory to everything they say. You know, because you're not allowed to call for violence on platforms. You're not allowed to bully or threaten. or infl- but, but, but now, because wartime, you're allowed to. But we're not at war with them, right? We're, it's only them we're supporting. But yes, that's the point, because this is what happens when everything's shipped for war. Well, Russia issues arrest warrant for Lindsey Graham. Because he said that, which I quite frankly think is completely political, that they don't actually think they're even going to act on it, to be quite honest. But Ashwin, I'll move this one over here for one second. So I want to, I'll talk about that in a second. We'll come back to it. So remember, well, you, I don't remember it. I'll show you it again. <laughs> that they issued an arrest warrant. You know that they have an arrest warrant for Putin from ICC and how that's going to play out. We'll come back to that. <clears throat> here is a post from Liam Cosgrove reporter for the for the Epoch Times. State Department refuses to say whether it will negotiate with Zelensky for the release of a U.S. detained citizen. You may not have heard about this. I haven't touched on it yet. I, I, have, to, I have to be very forward, very clear about this. <clears throat> I, re- I talked about Gonzalo Lira and the last time this happened, where he got 
picked up as the story went by the SBU. And I only say that because I, I wasn't able to confirm that it actually went down the way that it was said. And then he got released and everything went back to it. He's on his counts and his, I, I don't know. Something about it just didn't sit well with me. I felt like we got played somehow. And I don't know. I'm not saying I, I know or even necessarily think that he lied. I don't know. Something about it left me with a weird feeling. Now, he apparently was picked up again by the SBU. Now, regardless of whether it actually happened or there's a bigger story, I, I don't know. But ultimately, just the narrative around it is worth making a point on, which is that the narrative, even according to the U.S. government, is that a U.S. citizen was literally arrested and is currently being like, indefinitely detained by the Zelensky government because he insulted Zelensky. Okay, so that's the narrative? And we're not supposed to go, well, that's crazy. So you, you care more about your relationship with this neo-Nazi element than fighting for U.S. citizens? Well, yeah, wake up, guys. That's always the case. But interestingly, they're willing to let that stand. Now, here's, this is what he said when he asked about this point. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Liam Cosgrove. Oh, and by the way, <laughs> it's just, I, I'm, this is a new guy to me. I'm not familiar with who this is. But am I wrong in saying that this guy just looks like a, like a mannequin? This guy looks like exactly what you would envision on a, like a cartoon or like a Family Guy episode of what a slimy politician would look like. <laughs> I'm not even trying to be mean. It's just this guy gives me a very like artificial feeling. It's very weird. With Epic Times. Um, so this was a couple weeks ago, but I haven't seen an official statement on it. Um, a U.S. citizen who was residing in Ukraine has been arrested and that um, you know, he was a California born man. He was in the past, like a business insider contributor and he had a YouTube channel. He was an outspoken critic of Zelensky's regime. Um, the Ukrainian SBU released a press release saying he was arrested for justifying Putin's invasion. So, um, ultimately it added up to speech. And, uh, I spoke with Congressman Ted Lieu, Democrat, and he said he urges the state department to engage its authorities to, you know, work out some sort of negotiation to get him released. So are you guys aware of this? How do we feel about our allies, you know, detaining U.S. citizens for speech abroad? Um, so we, we, uh, I will say in general that we're aware of the report. Um, we obviously support the, the exercise of freedom of speech anywhere in the world, and I'll leave it at that. So you, you guys aren't working to, to get him released? I, I'm going to leave my comments uh, uh, where, I just, where I just left them. See, I'll tell you one thing. Like, t I don't don't take this the wrong way because I think this is disgusting the way he's answering this. But just from a purely like political business sense, KJP could learn something from this guy, <laughs> right? If you know you're going to get trapped, don't answer. My point. I'm just. I shouldn't even say that because I don't want them to do that. My point though is that this job is about lying to people. This job or any of them, the State Department, the White House, their job is to obfuscate as often as possible about anything they don't want you thinking about, talking about anything. So his answer is nothing. We support free speech. Everybody shut up, move on. Like, this is how dumbed down this has gotten. So we're literally talking about American citizen that's currently being detained by a government you're arming and supporting, who is an open neo-Nazi element, and your answer is we support free speech. Next question. I mean, my God, what do we not, how do people not see this? Now, what's crazy to me on top of that is what makes me feel like there's something fishy about even this is the way he's framing this. Ukrainian SBU released Zelensky's regime, um, an outspoken critic of insider contributor. You know, right. he was a California born man. He was in the past like a business insider contributor and he had a YouTube channel. He was an outspoken critic of Zelensky's regime. Um, the OK, so that's how they frame it. Right. You remember how they framed it last time? 
a misogynist conspiracy theorist that's lying about everything. I mean, it's just crazy. And now suddenly he's just like the he, business insider contributor and, and head of channel. And, and it, you know, it's not weird. I just I think that's a very strange shift to where before, it seemingly they were more than happy to just drag him through the mud. Okay, well, now suddenly, like, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because they don't want to make, uh, be derogatory about somebody who's being detained by somebody that they're forming. For, I don't know. I just think that's an interesting thing to point out. The very different way they're even engaging with the conversation about him, almost trying to legitimize that. It's very strange. But overall, it should matter. No matter what, even if it's a fake story, like the idea that they're pretending or, or actually ignoring that a U.S. citizen was arrested is pretty crazy. And it says everything. They only care about this stuff when it matters. Oh, we care about the, the guy that was arrested in, in Russia for smuggling weed, the female basketball player, right? That he was arrested for, for a, a crime. And yet they, they literally go out of their way while arresting people in this country for cannabis still to get him released. But, but this one, we don't even talk about this one. Like it just seems, it, it shows you that they, nothing is sacred. These people are bad people. They will use you and drop you. They don't care about anything other than what they're trying to accomplish. That's obviously my opinion, but I think history makes that very clear. Well, here's an example, just moving past Gonzalo in general, as, a, as an independent journalist, there's an endless example that this is exactly what is happening. And there's an obvious reason why the U.S. government doesn't want to talk about this, because this is an operation. This is a proxy government, guys. This whole operation is being funded, armed, and directed by the U.S. government. We have to be honest about that. So the reality is they're murdering journalists on the ground, and they don't care because they never care. They only care insofar as it achieves their ends. This political scientist points this out. During 2022, Ukrainian courts convicted 272 people who were merely accused of collaborationism. No one was acquitted in any of the cases. Law enforcement officers registered almost 5,500 cases of collaborationism. Approximately 1.4 thousand of them were charged. What does that mean? That they were even just sympathetic to the Russian government. Ukraine Criminal Code article on collaborationism does not even define what it means. Quote, if the investigator and prosecutor define a pro-Putin publication on the social media as collaborationism, then the person will be deprived of the right to work in certain positions. So they just get to go, we don't like that, you're going in jail. Or in, could, at the very least. Quote, if the investigation decides that the hostile social media post was a justification of aggression, so essentially going, we might understand why Russia did what they did. That's a five-year prison sentence. Does that sound like free speech? It's funny how in this case they go, well, they're in the middle of a war. It's martial law. Okay, so then you're okay with shutting down rights during a war? Okay, so that means you're okay with happening here in the United States? No, that's free speech. So you're a hypocrite then. Got it. There are already many examples of such different qualifications in Ukrainian practice. It says the SBU, that's the special the secret police of the Ukrainian government, detained the director of a Russian of the Russian post, uh, Izium. It's that Russian platform. The perpetrator performed the tasks of the occupation administration regarding the spread of the Kremlin regime through the means of a postal communication. She faces up to 12 years in prison. What's interesting is the U.S. government does this all around the world in every country you could possibly imagine. Seeding all of their misinformation and propaganda, always. 
And the point is that if we're pretending this is a democracy, which is what you just heard Newland and the rest of them say, this democracy, you know, literally saying it's going to set the democratic example for the world while they are literally murdering journalists based on an assumption of what they think they're trying to accomplish. Now, before you flip out and push back on that, which you probably do anyway, here's more evidence of that and even evidence of them going, yeah, we did that because we are the people you think we are because they're happy to tell you that if you actually listen to them as opposed to listening to what the U.S. media tells you they are. Sort of like we talk about with the Zionist government in Israel, where they'll come up and be like, we don't want to deal with anybody over here. We don't want, we don't want Palestine to exist. We don't think they have a right to exist at all. We, don't, we, we want to, I mean, everything. Everything you think that is an outside conspiracy theory. They're openly going, we will never have a two-state solution. Biden will tell you exactly the opposite. Robert's written about it endlessly. They're openly telling you they, they don't exist. These people should be ethnically cleansed. They are literally restoring homes, occupying more territory, all of which is illegal, international law, the United Nations, everything. I don't see anybody talking. Where's the conversation? Because we're not supposed to talk about it at all. Because if you do it from my side of it, oh, I guess I'm a racist now, despite the fact that you could prove they're breaking the law. But, you know, who cares? It's the same thing. This is real, and it is happening. And I'll even show you articles coming from before this started. SBU detained the director of the Russian Post. This is from SBU's own post on Facebook. The, the information is in here for you to check out for yourself. Because he wrote a post they didn't agree with. Here is a post in the Times in the UK. Ukraine assassinated Russian propagandists. Or to read it more accurately, assassinated Russian writers. Admits intelligence chief. The head of Ukraine's military intelligence service of the SBU admitted openly that his agents have assassinated Kremlin propagandists in the 15 months since Russia invaded. I mean, you, you can read the rest of this if you want. You should and read it all for yourself. The point is, it just what they're saying is we killed these people. We didn't have a court. We, or we didn't have any kind of process. We just murdered them in the street. You know, like the guy in front of the judicial building they lied about. Or the blogger in the car that they riddled with bullets. All those things that they, they said we did it. But the government, and or rather the, the surface level narrative from the media, and everyone said, no, fake news. They praised it. They said, yeah, kill him. He's a Russian guy. It's all in here. Here's Newsweek. An assassinated Russian blogger wrote the truth. According to Putin... Think about how despicable that is. So instead of writing an article that says the Ukraine military murdered this guy for writing, they argue that Putin says he was writing the truth, which is really going wink, wink. He's actually a propagandist working for Putin, which is under basically suggesting that it was okay that it happened. Think how disgusting that is. Newsweek. Russian military blogger who was assassinated in St. Petersburg bombing. This is somebody in Russia. Right? They said that was a lie? No, they are now literally waging war across the border. They've been openly assassinating people inside of Russia. Can you even imagine what the U.S. government would have done after all of this, if this was in reverse? Open incursions into the country? Open assassinations in the capital? Think about that for a second, and we're pretending there's not red lines being crossed? My God, it's, um, it's incredible. Well, all of this comes back to, the, oh, that one, this, in fact, this is actually the next one. They're both, this is Human Rights Watch, similar color. This is what we'll come to next. Ukraine's deadly profession before the invasion. But here is another one. This is 2017. 
Now, of course, here's how this works out when it's obvious what really happened. Who killed the journalist with El Sherman? We're baffled, guys. We're absolutely baffled. Well, he was a leading journalist, and he was killed in Kiev one year ago when this was posted when a bomb was planted in his car, sort of like the other bombs that killed the other journalists they were all praising over here, going, yay, we bombed him, we killed him, right? We still don't know who did it and why. He was known for his incisive journalism, and he was raising issues of public concern, such as violence by volunteer battalions and investigations into corruption in the Ukraine. Yeah, so he's investigating the Azov movement and the violence and the corruption. And then his bomb kills his car. And we, we're baffled, guys. We're super baffled what's going on. As they're over here going, yeah, we killed them all. Great journalism, guys. You can't even piece together that there's another article that's already showed them going, yeah, we killed that guy. And they're over here going, we're baffled, guys. We don't know what's going on. Well, the point is, this has always been what's been going on in the Ukrainian-backed, CIA-funded government. 2016. And again, this is at a time when they wanted you to see this because they wanted to blame this on Russia, in my opinion. I've shown you this many times. An investigative journalist, Paval Sherman, the same guy we're talking about, guys, right here, was assassinated in Kiev. He was a top reporter at Ukrenska Pravada, a crusading journalist and native of Belarus. He had already been expelled from both Russia and Belarus. He was killed by a car bomb. Now, understand, this is, this is completely indicative. Or uh, You'll see as the, 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 the clear indication is this was done by the Ukrainian side. It would be easy to dismiss it as murder as an outlier. Unfortunately, it's anything but. His death is merely the most drastic example of the steady deterioration of press freedom in Ukraine in recent months. One day before his murder, uh, Maria Radovan, editor of Forbes in Ukraine, was stabbed three times in Kiev. She'd been walking past the Kiev Institute. These are There's nothing to do with Russia, guys. These are the, the, the editor of Forbes in Ukraine, right? The leader of a massive prop, a platform that was calling out the Yazov movement. On July 25th, the head of business censor in a well-to-do area of Kiev was killed by two men. Took, they took nothing. A reporter for the New Time magazine, who often wrote about Ukrainian oligarchs, said she received multiple death threats. No charges were even brought against her. At this moment, this is post the Ukraine revolution. right? This is a U.S.-backed government running the country. After Shemet's murder, Ukraine authorities promised his partner, that the owner of, of the platform, a security detail. Prosecutor General Lutsenko stated that he had opened a case against this person, the first deputy head of Ukraine National Police, who had been shadowing him. So you can see right there that the special police in Ukraine were already following this guy. The head of the National Police, though, said that he will be questioned after he returns from his holidays. But their common boss, as we've mentioned before, Minister of the Interior, Arsen Avakov, the one they loved to pretend was the only real Nazi, who, by the way, is now back working with them. They don't tell you that. He's the one that stepped in and said, there's nothing there. Don't look at it. You got start to see the picture? He, he sh- they, were all, they all were going, look, we have to look into this. We have to look into this person from the police, the national police. That's the Azov movement. He steps in and goes, nope, nope, don't look at it. It's unclear who's behind his murder, but critics have accused the government of harassing and trying to settle silence Nettlesome journalists over the past several months. That's the Atlantic Council writing that they, and clearly suggesting this was the Ukraine government that killed him. On April 26th, the Ukraine government banned the country's top television host. This is the same government, guys. 
they say that the, it was the most popular Russian language talking show, right? Talk show because he was perceived as pro-Russian. Some have speculated that Shuster may have annoyed pres- the president at the time, one of his April shows. Shuster asked the audience to respond to, to uh, that wasn't the important part. It was ultimately just basically going on to say that he shown just determination in fighting against corruption. 93% of the audience disagreed. Ukraine hackers leaked the names and the contact details of more than 4,500 journalists, producers, cameramen, stringers, translators, and drivers who worked under the control of the pro-Russian separatist area in Donbass. Still the same point. They're trying to kill Eva Bartlett. They're trying to kill anybody on that list. All of them. Patrick Lancaster. They keep they bomb areas that they're literally staying at. Public hotels. Of course, the corporate media ignores it. The journalists worked for a major international media outlets like Reuters, BBC, French press agency, Al Jazeera, and Human Rights Watch. Don't you think that Reuters and BBC would care to point this out? Nope, apparently not. They're now calling you a conspiracy theorist for acknowledging what this government is. This, this, we've even mentioned this right here. Miro, this is the website we're talking about. Same thing happening back then. They put out their names and where they are. And then people died. But yet today, even though the BBC knows this, they're calling you a crazy person for even saying it's possible. How do you not see that? The website that we're talking about was also co-founded by the same Arsen Arbakov, the one that they'll tell you is a Nazi. He accused the journalists on the list of aiding terrorists and spreading Russian propaganda. Same thing we're hearing today, right? He praised the publication on the, on the list and blamed the journalists for registering with the wrong side. Think about that. I mean, you get the general point. This, go, this goes on and on and on. The point is, you have, you have examples of Vi- even Vice News pointing out that what he, he was killed. That was a bad thing. Now they're the ones telling you you're crazy for asking questions. The bottom line is, Ukraine. it says journalists in Ukraine are counting on the West to draw attention to this and do something about it. Do you know what happened? Absolutely nothing. They allowed journalists to continue to be attacked, killed, threatened, followed. To this very day. Now, one other point before we finish. U.S. has funded Ukraine lab pathogen and bioweapon research since 2005. Here's the official evidence. Now, it's not entirely accurate, in my opinion. I'll show you the actual post, but I'm going to make a point about it. This person says, now, what's funny is, here's the link, here's the image. And it's it's right here. It's it's directly on the State Department.gov website. Yet this guy folds up and says, is this real? And if so, why is this not the top of the fold story in every newspaper in the world? I just, that kind of argument, it's like, man, are you, are you five years old? The idea here, and I'm not, I, maybe he's being facetious, I don't know, I'm just using it to make a point. The idea is like, come on. That, so the argument would be, if that's a real argument, that so because it's not everywhere, therefore it must not be real. Well, that's exactly the way they want you to think. This person says, a lot of real things are ignored by the news, exactly. But here's my point about this. Here's the post. It is a real post. It, is, it says agreement between the United States and Ukraine. But here's what it says. Between the Department of Defense and the United States of America and the Ministry of Health of Ukraine concerning cooperation in the area of prevention of proliferation, which, of course, is what they would always say, even if they weren't doing that. But that's not the point for me. First of all, the point is you can't really say this is the smoking gun proof when they at the very least write down that they're doing this in the the interest of preventing proliferation, not the opposite. But it goes on to say 
the prevention of technology, pathogens, and expertise that could be used in the development of biological weapons. Now, th- now that's not, most of you, it's not a new point. We've pointed out a Victoria Newland clumsily made that clear in her own statements. But right now, they straight up argue that what they have in these labs is not weapon stuff. They say, no, you're lying, you're wrong, you're a conspiracy theorist. Well, explain for me why then it says quite literally that, yes, it could be used as biological weapons back then. That's the point that I take from that. The, the, idea, the idea that whether or not it's the prevention, of they have access to things that can be used to make bioweapons, period. The neo-Nazis that we just went over. That's the truth. Then last, don't forget, this is clandestine, just following up on this. The Russian MOD is, in fact, arguing that they just found basically a a bio-manipulated version of the avian flu that's potentially lethal up to 40%. So that you can read this on the Twitter, on the the Telegram channel. They're basically saying that they have evidence of the funding of of all of it. But, you know, I just, it, I just I wouldn't question it for a second. I absolutely think that any of them are involved with this kind of stuff. And that it wouldn't surprise me that Russia would point this out. But you just, it's just hard to say these days and whether they're all involved in some larger Great Reset agenda or whether, you know, who knows. But you can come to your own conclusions about it. It wouldn't surprise me at all. This might, ends up, might end up being the next thing. So we already talked about this. This is just insulting and sad. This is obviously the Palestine Chronicle that will be dismissed by everybody because that must be fake because this is on this page, except that if you care to look at all, you can actually find it, read it for yourself. You know, just always making that point about how childishly dismissive so many people are based on politics. But yes, this is a real article. It was actually written by the Times of Israel, which you can see at the top there behind the way back machine, but then deleted, censored, covered up. You know why? Because they admitted what they what some of these people really think. When I was, was going to say they and even corrected that is because I'm talking about the Zionists. But, of course, people will make that out to be only Jewish people because they're ignorant or, or racist themselves. But the point ultimately is that the Zionist government of Israel absolutely is trying to ethnically cleanse this entire group. And by the way, as I pointed out endlessly, also any Jewish people that don't believe in the Zionist agenda right on the surface. But ultimately, the main point. Jeffrey Cameras, terrible person. He says, in order to right or wrong, in order to make peace and move forward, Palestine must be obliterated. It is an affront to society, morality, humanity. It represents lies and anti-Semitism, oppression and terror, nothing more. God, it's disgusting. Just lies about the entire reality. And of course, the only legal standing is the UN, Geneva Conventions, and so on, that make it clear that that's an illegally occupied territory. Period which means they have a right to armed rebellion, regardless of whether they're attacked. Nothing else really matters in that conversation. Going forward is just trying to muddy the waters. Now they're going, we have to get rid of them because they're the bad guys. No one cares about the Palestinians, they say. Care for them, he argues, solely exists in the form of anti-Israel advocacy, not pro-Palestinian support. God, that's so disgusting in so many ways. That's racist. That is extremist. And on top of that, it's just overflowing with hubris. Right. The idea that somehow you're the only thing that matters to the point to where the only reason anybody even cares about Palestine is because they hate you so much. Now, obviously, it frames it as them being the the victim, the persecuted. It's unbelievable. Now, of course, there are people that have very clear anti-Israel focus. But to argue that there's literally nobody that supports Palestinians just because they support Palestine I mean, their argument is inherently that if you support Palestine, you are anti-Israel. But see, this is the way they frame the argument. And of course, that there's really no way to, it it goes both ways. 
But as always, it comes back to the fact that it is an illegal occupied territory. End of conversation. But here they are trying to tell you that you're a bad person, right? If you think this. Well, again, we just talked about Lindsey Graham and the issue and the issuance of his arrest warrant. Well, here is what somebody was asked in regard to arresting Putin. This is the general secretary, ANC general secretary. And this guy tears apart this, this BBC propagandist. Some literally got to be the worst propagandist platform in existence. BBC is, is, I mean, might as well be Bellingcat as far as I'm concerned. It's unreal. And here's an example of one of these guys that probably doesn't even know that he's wrong. His smug indifference to the fact that this guy has a valid point and just pushes back. You'll see what I mean. This is the kind of, this is the level of corporate journalism. Is a, a treaty member of the International Criminal Court. If Putin comes here in August as planned, your government will be obliged to arrest him. As head of the ANC, do you believe your government should and indeed will arrest if Vladimir Putin? If it was Putin? according to the ANC, we will want President Putin to be here even tomorrow. You to would? Come to, come, to come to our country. But, you uh, would welcome Vladimir Putin here of right course now. Would we you? Will welcome. A man who is being investigated for war crimes by the international. We will really quickly, I mean, think about how ridiculous this is. I mean, this guy's not. He, he's, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe he's very stupid, but it doesn't appear stupid. He must be aware that there are other people that are being investigated for war crimes that aren't being arrested everywhere they go. Or the idea that historically, no matter what the circumstances, especially during wartime, you have diplomacy. But you see, that was a card that was pulled a while back that, oh, my God, Trump is talking to China. Like, well, yeah, guys, it doesn't it's, it's always what happens just by virtue, just by getting together and having a meeting does not mean normalization. But see, that's how they framed it. Oh, my God, he's normalizing North Korea. That What about Gorbachev and, and Reagan? Oh, just different. No, it's the same stupid thing. You always had diplomacy. But now what they're saying is you're not even allowed to talk with this person because the ICC and rather the Western political agenda says you're not allowed to anymore. Listen to what he says. Welcome him to come here as part and parcel of BRICS, but we know that we are constrained by the ICC in terms of doing that. Putin is a head of state. Do you think that uh, a head of state can just be arrested anywhere? How many crimes have your country committed in Iraq? How many crimes... Have everyone else who's so vocal today committed in Iraq and Afghanistan? Have you arrested them? You, you, have know, not. you know the impact that You're this stand of yours. You're making a lot of noise about Putin. The guy is desperately trying to just avoid the question, just like the Elon Musk interview with that other ridiculous person. That when he got exposed in real time, he just desperately tried to push to the next question. Right? Watch what this guy does. The last thing he'll ever do is even acknowledge or engage with that question because you'll look stupid because everybody knows the reality, even those that lie about it. Putin in state of working for peace. Pack, that You're this making stand a of lot of noise about putting in state of working for peace between Ukraine and Russia, and you fail to resolve the war. Where are the weapons of mass destruction? Tony Blair went to Iraq and claimed that they are weapons of mass destruction. Did you see anybody standing against that in the United Kingdom and Britain? More than uh, millions of people have died in Iraq and Afghanistan, and there are no weapons of mass destruction. We know what the war is about between Russia and Ukraine. We want peace. That's what is important, so that the world can thrive. 
and the organs and institutions. The guy stopped listening 30 seconds ago. He, he, with his smug indifference, with his eyes like, Mr. Secretary, can we please move on? Like, that's, that's the kind of way he's... Th- these people are children. I mean, like, I mean that in the, in the, in the, in the truest sense of, being, of your maturity. Like, they are at a point where they just check out. How is what he's saying not the most obviously logical point ever? The guy just is so done with it. We know what the war is about. Mr. Secretary General. Between Russia and Ukraine, we want peace. That's what is important. So that the world can thrive. And the organs and institutions of the world that institute world peace must not be conspicuous by their silence in deciding... Decisively, we, we, we don't have much time left. Peace. I just want, I want to bring it back to uh, domestic South African politics before we end. What a coward, man. Absolute coward. And th- that's why they're so most of these people are really becoming afraid to engage with certain people in certain conversations. Like, actually, here's a great point to make. You know, the reason why you're seeing this so often where people become like persona non grata, where they're just like or like these people like the absurd Hoteses or, or Ian Copeland's of the world that are acting like they just won't, or more specifically Hotez, to be quite honest, that, that will scream left and right about these things and then cowardly, meekly run away when they don't want to debate something. because And they act like it's just beyond their, I would never grace that person with, well, it's the same conversation as not wanting to normalize for diplomacy. Their point is they can't actually have a conversation without walking away looking like that guy. And all they can do is use conspiracy theorist or debunked. People aren't falling for this anymore. So what they do is just avoid it because you'll see things like this over and over where they just are embarrassed. Mr. Secretary, let's move on to the next question. Well, here's another example of the same kind of conversation. This is Ben Swan pointing out the U.S. has announced $245 million in humanitarian aid to the Sudan. Well, as I said, U.S. government aid really means, one, destabilization to justify sending that so-called aid, and two, aid is really a Trojan horse of financial and societal control mechanisms that will slowly erode sovereignty or create the circumstances to justify regime change by force. If that doesn't help, the more you know. (laughs) The real truth of the world, right? Let's be honest about this stuff today. Here's a great clip. I mean, there's actually a whole bunch of them, by the way. I'm just going to play the first one. Colonel Wilkinson, former chief of staff to uh, Colin Powell, dropping some truth bombs. That's as he has tended to do over the years after being in the administration. But there's plenty of reasons why I still have skepticism here. But either way, listen to what he says. It's it's refreshing truth that we all actually know, but many just pretend it's not there. In a warfare state since 9-11, and arguably we've been a warfare state for longer than that, certainly because of the Cold War, but also we did some extraneous things to the Cold War. It appears to the rest of the world now And Ukraine is amplifying and making this far more profound. And when I say the rest of the world, I'm talking about polls that indicate 3 billion people think we're insane. They truly think we're insane. That's the idea that there are plenty of people in the world that realize that we're bombing their families and then calling them terrorists. So they either think we're insane or they think we're, you know, the government, not we're. They think the government, which many of them, by the way, are far more aware than you think. Right. That's why they're always trying to frame it as as when they, you know, chant death, the death to America or whatever. They'll openly be like, look, we're talking about the government. They will differentiate that on surface. Same thing with Israel. But of course, what they'll do is try to make it about anti-Jewish people or anti-American people. It's not really what's happening. 
In some cases, I'm sure it exists. But overall, these people recognize there's a big difference, different gap, just like we do with them, between their government and, and what they are. But on top of that, they do think that this government is out of its mind, sociopathic. How do you not think that when you watch your family get blown up in front of you, when you watch soldiers get ordered to rape your family, and then they walk away calling you the bad guy? All of that's easily provable information on the record. Express it in different ways. They express it, for example, by being on Putin's side, if you will, even though for them, looking at it from their distant vista, it's aggression on his part. It's crossing international borders without permission, and that's a war crime. Same way we did in Iraq. We committed a war crime in 2003 in Iraq. Um, you could argue Article 51, self-defense under the UN Charter for Afghanistan, but you couldn't argue it for the 20 plus years we stayed in Afghanistan. So if there's a war criminal in the world of imperial posture, it's the United States of America. But I also agree with the I disagree with the first part, too, though. I don't think there was a justifiable reason in the first place. But either way, his point's important for those that might not agree with that. Either way, they're still breaking the law. Like the way that and then mission creep into Syria and the whole way this played out. I mean, these are these are war criminals by definition. And here is an American politician or military and, and, you know, and then also politician telling you that. But still, this business of three billion plus people, incidentally, most of those are under some kind of direct or indirect U.S. sanction, too. So think about that for a minute. The official list at the Treasury Department is over 32 countries that we have under sanction right now. And How is that even possible? Especially since there's no one country that's even legally allowed to just to give sanctions individually. It's supposed to be a government or a, a you know international body concept like the like the uh, like the UN. Even I'm not, I'm not even saying I necessarily agree with that either, but that's just how it's supposed to go. The unilateral sanctions from one country, even though Russia does it too. It's illegal, guys. It is illegal. They're not allowed to do that. That's when they love to stand up and say, we don't want to be the, ru the, the rulers of the world. We don't want to impose. A, yeah, you really do. And you very clearly think you have that power. You're not the government. You're not the, the rulers of, or what's the frame? They, anyway, I forget the term they use. You think that you have the ability to stand up and decide for everybody else what's supposed to happen. That is what they always do, despite what they say. I'm talking about the U.S. government. And the official list does not encompass all of the sanctions, I guarantee you. So the rest of the world, particularly people under 35 in poll after poll, show that they believe the United States might, in fact, be the greatest threat to their future. Think about that. That is a terrible place for a country that professes to be a democracy, indeed a leader in human rights, rule of law and such, to be in. It's a terrible place. Well, we'll leave you with this last part. After all, we just discussed on the, the last foreign policy part, Sarah Abdallah points out that Israel dropped bombs on Syria's Damascus. Right. So like St. Petersburg or Washington, D.C., the capital, very densely civilian populated, bombed that location last night in yet another unprovoked attack. And then, of course, we saw the entire international community spin out and call them war criminals and... Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. That's only happening over here. Nope. Completely ignored. No war declaration. No legal justification. Just an illegal bombing by Israel, which happens all the time in Syria, and nobody cares. How else do you frame that, guys? Just because you want to pretend bad guy Iran or whatever, the, that those aren't legal justifications. 
So you're basically saying when you argue that, that the law only applies to those that you're fighting. So you're just stupid <laughs> or you're a bad person. However you want to frame that. Think about how disgusting that is. How do the average people follow along with this? Where is the international outrage and condemnation? It's strictly reserved for Ukraine. It's just sad, man. Now, I will follow up with the misinformation part. I will get to that at some point. It's not that it's pressing. You guys have all seen it. I just have a couple of comments I want to make about where it's going. Didn't plan for it to be this long today, but, you know, I think it's important to keep this going. Now, I keep saying this, by the way, and I'm sorry that it keeps getting pushed off, but I've been planning to do a, a spaces meeting to talk with something I briefly got into on our recent founders meeting on Substack. And just timing, as always, this is more important. The show is more important than everything else going on at all. And that's all I really want to be able to do. Just keep being able to focus just on this and do it every single day and not to worry about anything else. Because usually the days where I'm not working, I'm just having to deal with a combination of other work things because I'm just pretty much the only one back here in regard to like this kind of stuff. And then personal stuff, you know, life. (laughs) Finally do my laundry one day, you know, that kind of stuff. But either way, I'm going to set that meeting up. I'm, I'm not, I'm just, I, I'm going to do it in the next probably week or I'm just not even going to date it now because I keep putting it off, but I want to get people's opinions on what they think the next step should be for T-Lab because you are all stakeholders in this platform. And I, I only say that because I was going to jokingly use the stakeholders term, you know, only for stakeholders, which is everybody, but you are all the people that believe in this platform. This platform wouldn't exist without you and you are the last American vagabond. So if I'm entertaining the possibility of finding some sort of funding, which is, uh, hear me, as always, it would never, over my dead body, would it ever be able to influence content or editorial direction, or any direction for that matter. But nonetheless, with a sharp decline in, in donations, because, I mean, everyone's struggling right now. Everybody is. My question for you, which will be, and we can discuss when you're there, hopefully, is whether or not you think it's the right move to find somebody out there that might be interested, or numerous parties, or to maybe pull back. You know, get rid of some of these larger things and just focus on the work. But of course, that will diminish our, our, our ability to stay relevant in the growing scene that the corporate media is chipping into and in all of this, right? People, groups popping up out of nowhere with a million followers and big studios and small, you know, it's, it's very, very, very concerning to me. But in any case, more coming your way. One thing you can always count on, guys, is if, whether or not I have to pull back for other reasons, I won't ever stop doing this. Which is not the thing I should say if I'm trying to get people to invest. But the bottom line is, you know, if it ends up being I do this once a week or whatever, this will always be something that I do. But I don't want to give up on this ever. I think this is something important. I think what we're doing here is changing things. The T-Lab community, all of us, and the writers involved, and, and, and from every angle we're doing this, I, I really believe that we have made a difference on everything we're talking about. And maybe that's all it was here to do. Maybe it was just a momentary thing. I'm not even saying, I'm only saying that because, you know, who knows where the future is going to go. But we will have this conversation. I want to get everybody's input on that and, and we will see what happens next. But in any case, more work to be done. Tomorrow, the next day, it just never stops. So keep questioning all this. Keep pushing back, guys. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.